We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. This crusade, this war on terrorism, uh, is going to take a while. He came, he saw, he died. <laughs> we tortured some folks. And the pod's been parked. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's episode 52 of Dave versus Goliath. I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you're with us live, thank you. You're the absolute best. Um, living in the moment with us. I appreciate it. Uh, and if you're listening later, please leave a review on uh, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff really helps out. I would appreciate it. And don't forget, every Wednesday, I'm co-hosting The System is Down with that dude, Dan Smots, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard. So yeah, if you like that video in the beginning, that's that guy. He's quite a mind. Um, he's just getting back from Porkfest, and I can't wait to hear about it. I saw a picture with him uh, and Luke Radowski, so he's crossing off some some cool ones there. That's my dude. Um, but tonight, guys, Dan's not with us. We'll miss him. He's going to take about a month off. He's hanging with the kids for summer break. So I'm going to have to figure out creative ways to uh, have fun here. So tonight, I may have perhaps overcompensated a bit. So no Dan. I brought eight Meekawks instead. Some members of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. But before we get to that, want to give a big shout out to the big boss man, Mike Heiss, who just right before Father's Day welcomed his son, uh, Cloud Ronald Heiss, to the world. I think that was a Thursday night or maybe Friday. But uh, congratulations to him. And this is, um, I've only seen pictures so far. I haven't met the baby. But this is a good looking baby. Not one of those weird scrunchy face, just born. Oh, yeah, it's cute. This is, uh, he did good. So I'm proud of the dude. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that's going to concern the Mises Caucus, Libertarian Party, and we're definitely going to do some, some inside baseball. But uh, it's been about a year since the great old Reno reset, and uh, maybe we should do some inventory and talk about how stuff's going. So, without further ado, let's bring in some Meekawks. I'm going to bring in everybody kind of all at once, and then we'll do some introductions um, just so we can all do it together. So, here we go. Meekawk. Meekock. Meekock. <laughs> they keep coming. Keep on coming. Oh my gosh. That's so many Meekocks. Here's a story of nine old Meekocks. Guys, thanks for being here. Um, real quick, we'll start. Um, let's start with Hannah. Hannah is right over here in the corner. And if I can find you over here, we'll give you the uh, center stage and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. 
I'm Hannah Goodman. I'm the chairwoman of the Libertarian Party of Colorado. I am a proud leader of the Colorado Mises Caucus Caliphate, the most radical and based of all the Mecoc affiliates in the nation. I'm a well-known activist in my local community, and I have led my troops through many battles throughout the takeover, and I'm proud to be here tonight. That was a good intro. Way to uh, go to bat for yourself. I really liked it. Um, up next, we got Ryan Bunting. Well, I, should have, I should have started local. That's the Meekhawk strategy, right? I should have started with you, man, but I don't nah, know. Maybe late, it, ladies first, right? No, nah, it's because I stole your fucking job. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that is. Dave, Dave is the exiting chairman of uh, the Newcastle County LP here in lovely Delaware. Uh, and I am the new chair. Uh, I almost at gunpoint uh, for Newcastle County, but try to make it work. <laughs> Appreciate you, yeah. man. Thank you. Thank you for being takeovered. here. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of get the sentiment now. <laughs> <laughs> Bust back out for a second, and we'll bring in Alex from Maryland. Man, tell me a little bit. Tell everybody about yourself a little bit. Hey, what's up, Dave? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my name is Alex Schlegel. I'm a Mrs. Caucus organizer in Maryland, um, newly elected vice chair, and um, also co-host on Punk Rock Libertarians. And so, yeah, that's our story. We just recently had our convention, and um, I'm trying to make our Twitter great again, if it ever was great. So follow MD, uh, LP Maryland on Twitter. Nice, man. Yeah, I saw you guys just had a really cool picnic the other day. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, actually, not too far from you, man. Like right on the Chesapeake, beautiful property. Had uh, smoking meats and uh, grilling, and uh, it was good times. And a lot of good good people out. It was nice. You guys have definitely good people in Maryland. Thanks for being here, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Um, let's see here. Let's go all the way. Out. I, mean, I should be, you know, maybe I should have done all Colorado together, but we're mixing it up. Uh, we're gonna go all the way out to Alaska. With Layton, what's up, man? Thanks for being here. Hey, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I am a organizer from Alaska, um, libertarian sort of ancapish uh, side of things. Obviously, with the came on a couple years ago. I have a podcast called Outlawed Thoughts, where I interview people and talk about random things happening in the world. Nice, brother. Thank you for being here, man. Um, yeah. We- Man, New York, Delaware, Maryland, Alaska, and uh, and California too. Tyler, what's up, brother? How are you uh, doing, man? Tell everybody about yourself. I'm Tyler Yonke. Yeah, I'm California. Uh, I bring the me in me cocks. Leave the cock for someone else. Um, I am up in Sacramento area. I'm part of the Libertarian Party of Sacramento as well. And I have a podcast, Libertarian Podcast Review. Just did a 2300 episode review of Tom Woods. So check that out. Uh, but yeah, tonight we're talking about Meacock stuff. Nice, brother. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I love the concept of your show, dude. It's so perfectly niche, and you have really good takes on Twitter. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited you're here. Thanks for being here, brother. Uh, let's see here. Craig Caldwell out of New York. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dave. No doubt. Am- tell, uh, tell us about yourself. I've been involved with the caucus since Pittsburgh in 21. I just went to see a comedy show and uh, joined up after I saw what happened there at the PA convention. Um, 
So I'm chair of my county LP in Shimon County, New York. Um, ran for county legislator last year. This year I'm running for city council in the city of Elmira. I'm on the state committee of New York, LP and NY. Um, just excited to uh, talk to you guys tonight. Nice, man. You sound awfully busy. Try to Thank be. You for, yeah. Thanks for doing all that. We'll definitely get into it. Uh, and we'll stay in New York. Uh, Justin, Carmen, how are you, brother? Not too bad. How about yourself, man? Doing great. Thank you uh, for being here. And uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So I hail from upstate New York, uh, Albany County, where I am the chair of the Albany County affiliate. I'm also um, an executive committee member for LPMY. Um, I'm, I consider myself to be pretty much a day one Meekhawk. Um, I've been an organizer for probably the last three or four years now. Uh, yeah, just here to have some fun and talk about some liberty shit. Yeah, dog. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. And uh, glad that you're an OG. Uh, and I believe this might be lastly, Alicia. How are you, brother? Yeah, yeah. What up? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for being here. Tell tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So it's a pleasure to be here. I am the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Colorado. So I'm number two, just right under Hannah Goodman. And like she said, we're the caliphate. We're bold. We're the loudest. We're the bestest. Uh, but we like to share our experience with everyone. If you guys want to join the Mises Caucus uh, to just ruffle some feathers here in Colorado, just talk to us. Uh, that's kind of what we're here for. We're in the business of uh, being loud and proud. So. That's awesome, man. Yeah, you guys are. Both of you guys came in hot. We're we're awesome. Check it out. Number one. I like the I like that attitude. It's like rappers, you know. <laughs> there you I'm, go. <laughs> you're, you're number one, or you're first or last. You know that kind of. Yeah, yeah I feel like Chameleonaire kind of nerfed himself. He should have been <laughs> Chameleonaire from the jump. He really set a hard cap on himself. <laughs> you know, um, but it should be noted the Libertarian Party was started in Colorado, right? David Nolan's living room. That was the epicenter. You guys definitely, I think that's something you can have a claim to fame. So the culture must be at least somewhat rooted, you know. We're very independent. Colorado has always had its own mind and its own way of doing things and has always set its own terms. Um, And the rest of the country can take it or leave it. And if they leave it, oh, well. That's awesome. What a sweet attitude. Um, Yeah, so anyone from Colorado does anything, we come in the comments, Colorado, you know, it's it's not just Alicio and I, it's a whole culture here. Well, I love any, I mean, that's the kind of the New Hampshire thing, right? Like they're just New Hampshire, everything. (laughs) So everybody should apply that kind of to their own place. Mm -hmm. It's harder in some places. Delaware. It's hard. It's hard sometimes, (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard out there, but yeah, for anybody who's watching, um, there's two people here from Colorado and two people here from New York specifically because Colorado, I think has some really cool stuff going on. People are thinking outside of the box finally. Right. So I've been waiting for this. Um, so yeah, there will probably be a lot of agreement tonight, but as we said, just, you know, backstage, if there are disagreements, man, bring them up. Cause let's just get better as libertarians, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, I just thought we could talk about some stuff that's going on in the actual world before we get into our, our nerddom and the inside baseball. Um, so there's, I haven't done a show in a couple of weeks and there's been some stuff going on and I just thought we could kind of talk about some of the current events. So is there anybody here who has a really solid understanding of like the 24 hour civil war that happened in Russia? 
Nobody has a really good understanding about that. No, no I'm going to be perfect. No one does. No one does. Um, this is fine. Nobody, I guess, really should. But, like, it went, correct me if I'm wrong, went really, really hot, really, really quick, came down. Come well, down. yeah. Whoever has so an idea my, probably works for the CIA. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was guessing. What were you saying, Layden? So, from my understanding, uh, I, I don't know. When I, I was working the night that I sort of saw stuff popping up in the news for it, so I was like live watching all the headline swap. Uh, and I don't know, it seemed to me more like there wasn't anything really hot about it. Like, there wasn't any, like, it seemed to me like these guys were moving directions, like they moved away from a position where they were before. Uh, and that's what sort of drove the whole thing forward. But the media made it sound like these guys were like raging a civil war against Russia. And I'm like, that's not what's right. really happening here. It seems like this is almost like a misunderstanding of payment issue. <laughs> like, if anything, it seems like the same kind of thing you'd see play out in that situation. Yeah, apparently. The, so the private military, Wagner, um, apparently they were having some problems with friendly fire coming from Russian soldiers. And they were complaining about that. Um, and then that's what caused the move and then Putin evacuated and then they were like, oh, well, okay, we're, we're good. And they kind of agreed on something and that was kind of it. But naturally, um, the, the mainstream media legacy media, uh, kind of blew it up into something beyond what it was. Right. And I I noticed that. that Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just had heard that. I think of Progrosin. I think that's one of the, the, the oligarch guys that they had taken over Russian media and were putting out videos right away about Putin and bad stuff. So the fact that there was a stand down, because you you'd go up against him, you expect it's all or nothing. And I just think a lot of the groups didn't really go full force. And there could be problems now, ramifications behind the scenes of people that decided to jump in with the big guys against Putin. Uh, but anyway, that that to me was kind of interesting that there was state media overtake, like hacking in, and they were projecting, and that's kind of how things started. And then there was a, a ceasefire, so to speak. Um, I, anyway, that's that's, just and I will, that, that's all I know. I, I will add, I, I, I have seen an awful lot of discourse on Twitter and on the internet just in general about everybody saying sort of, ah, this is, you know, US and CIA and different things. And I think there's also another angle, which is this is just as possible something that the Wagner group and Putin almost orchestrated themselves, because if you want to sort of oust the people that are going to try to screw you, this would be a very good way to do it. Uh, It lets you know the type of people, obviously those oligarchs who are going to use their power to take things. uh, And then you can sort of put them in their place behind closed doors. Uh, Obviously we saw him like drop the charges on the, Wagner general people and all that stuff. So I think this is more of, it's just as possible this was Putin doing this to sort of suss out the people around him who might be willing to stab him in the back come a check. Yeah. Man, thank you for that. You had some, uh, yeah, definitely more information on that than I had. So I was kind of hoping I could count on you guys for that because, yeah, this now, past weekend I wasn't, didn't want to pay attention to that. I try not yeah. to pay attention to the brink of nuclear war stuff. 
Think local. I'm right. right. I'm 50. Alaska's 55 miles at its closest point from Russia. So I try to get a good grasp on what's happening. Yes, sir. Appreciate yep. that, man. So, so I, now call me crazy, but wouldn't it be strategically smart if you tell your enemy that you're going to go on a rebellion, you go unopposed and then go all the way around to Belarus and kind of come around the backside? Like, doesn't that seem like a strategic win? I don't know. I'm not a general or anything, but it just sounds like a, what do you call that? A pincer move or whatever they call that in military terms? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. I'm not an expert. It's just, you know, you go unopposed back and then you kind of make this circle. It just seems kind of suspicious. I mean, unless we forget him and Putin were at one point close friends. I mean, if there was anybody that you were going to strategically try to ally with in order to kind of weed out some, you know, potential people who aren't completely in line with you, that seems like it would be the kind of guy that I want, you know, on the other side of the conversation. Yeah. And I also heard that the U.S. knew about this, quote unquote, coup, like well before the, this even started. Right. Like they had in, like intel on it or something. Damn, almost like think. 9-11. Yeah. It just kind of makes you think, like, <laughs> why is the media putting so much stress on this? Uh, there's A second Russian has hit the tower. <laughs> yeah. Like they knew about the sub. Exactly. Yeah. Was- Leighton, did I did I get that you were trying to pull uh, Sarah Palin there, telling us how close you are to Russia? <laughs> I don't you can see from my own. Uh, uh, no, I, I would like to think I'm a bit smarter than her, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, Sarah Palin's uh, that's a that's a supreme dummy. <laughs> that's like the worst <laughs> of the worst from our state. That's got to be rough, man. Talk about being isolated. Just, just the time zone alone. You know what I mean? That's got to be <laughs> well. Rough. It makes uh, streaming stuff a bit difficult. This is sort of the sweet spot. This is like the perfect time for me. Yeah, this is that's why I schedule break. all my shows late. Uh, nice. Everybody's always wondering why I schedule everything late, but it's like, yeah, because I have to. Because late for you guys is like three, four p.m. here. <laughs> so it's like, right. uh, you know. Uh, yeah, but um, I, I don't. It, the problem here is mainly like I live in a town with like two thousand people in it, so it's sort of small on top of small. So you're pretty much as you know. I, I like being quote isolated to an extent, but I like taking a lot of trips too. So right. Um, let's keep it within the state of New York real quick before we go into your libertarian stuff. I just saw that wood-fired pizza is under assault in New York. Who's this good for other than Klaus Schwab? You guys are really going for it, man. I don't know how you do it. Like, I'm not saying you need to go to New Hampshire, but you might need to go somewhere else. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> New York, is, it seems like a fallen state, dudes. Can't even have your pizza. What's up? So I believe that specific article you were talking about was New York City, but it could be the whole state. I don't know. I do associate... Um, the, the yeah. city with your whole state, just because I feel like you know. <laughs> neither me or Justin are anywhere. Careful, you city. got an Albany guy in here. Yeah, uh, he's a lot closer to the belly of the beast than I am. I'm about four and a half, five hours away from New York City. Um, we're in the country. Uh, my county's only like eighty six thousand people, not as small as Alaska, obviously. But um, yeah, it, it's totally just taking over control of the climate. They want everything on electric so they can shut it, shut you off. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know what the article is, but I know New York City a couple of years ago, um, actually, it's probably a little longer than that. 
they were actively working to prevent people from using coal ovens. So any of the the famous pizza places in New York City that have been using coal ovens for, you know, the better part of, you know, a century and whatnot, you have some sort of issue with it, it breaks down, you can't use it, you know, it's falling apart, whatever. You couldn't import a coal oven from Italy anymore. You couldn't resource getting coal delivered to go ahead and actually be able to do these things. It's just batshit, like, simple, you know, little tiny things in life that New York City is just like, oh, no, we got to get our hands on that. We got to mm-hmm. gotta fuck with you. We got to meddle. Nope. Destroy the best pizza on earth. Right. <laughs> they, they used to have the best art and culture and museums. That's why Tom Woods goes there. Mm-hmm. And you, they're destroying everything. You can't even have a nice slice of pizza. It's awful. I hate that. Um, In the state of Alaska over here, most of the houses have wood stoves and uh, burn wood because oil gets really expensive when your weather is like cold, cold, you know, because mm-hmm. you got to keep pumping oil and keep the stuff running. So wood becomes a lot more economical. So there's, um, yeah, I, I've been seeing all the like, uh, I saw a guy throwing pizza slices into the like city halls building yard at uh, on Twitter during yeah. this whole New York thing. That's why so I I, that guy inspired me. <laughs> I don't know who that dude is, but he's the MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people and the cops came and they defended the property. The whatever you know institution was blocking him and took his took him away. Yeah. So well, I just mean, to get our, uh, I was going to say just to get our terminology correct, we're talking about assault stoves, right? Like those dangerous stoves, right? That that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, those sex burner stoves. You know, they have stoves. High capacity burners. Oh, you got to those high capacity ones. Irreversible damage to the environment. This is a global issue, and we cannot stand for it. We must convert to electric stoves. For the 13 or 14 pizzerias that are using this technology, we cannot allow for this to stand. I love it. So how many BTUs is like considered a salt stove? Like, that's the real question here. The founders never could have envisioned stoves like this. <laughs> 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 they might have, actually. They and like, have, you actually. know, picking back on that, like, Hokel just recently, you know, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but I think California was kind of going through something similar They've now outlawed the possibility of, like, if you're building a new home in the next couple of years, you're not going to be able to have a gas range. A lot of us, like, I live upstate. I live in the middle of absolutely freaking nowhere, and we lose power constantly here. We have terrible power. But a lot of people around here rely on that during the winter to go ahead and be able to survive. Um, We we have that in Delaware um, for new constructions. They are only doing electric ranges, which I don't know if you've ever cooked on electric, but it's fucking depressing. Um, so very sad. Uh, I know, I know yeah. another way that this is done, which is through um, HUD homes and uh, the, all the government uh, efficiency apartments. So if you're on fixed income apartments, of which we have a couple of these units down here in Seward, um, they they all come now with electric stoves, and that's actually direct from HUD. That's just what they get now. There's no gas, anything to be installed. Even in a state like this, where most of the houses you see that are independent houses are going to be on propane, um, because that's what is used down here. Like it's just what everybody has. So 
I, I have a business idea for everyone in New York. Could you start like a dumpster fire pizza? Because I'm pretty sure that if you do a dumpster fire, they won't say a thing, right? Like, All you need to figure out is how to perfect a Z-bug crust. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Peaceful out. Protest Pizza. There you go. Don't mind the flames. They're mostly peaceful. This is this is why it's so important because this is all this is glo- this is the globalist the the World Economic Forum and this is how we can push back locally because the same thing in Maryland they this governor we have is just a progressive straight out of like central casting from the CIA you know he's like per- portraying himself to be the next Obama I mean he's just like the photo op all over the place but anyways they want to reduce uh, he wants to have all vehicles in Maryland fifty percent electric by twenty thirty four signed it into law. Yet, there's also a law in the book by 2020, 50% has to be renewable energy sources. So all these coal plants, there's a coal plant in Southern Maryland. I just saw it. I'm like, did that place close down? Look this up. They completely shut down just this past year. And they were expected to shut down two two years from now because of environmental reasons. But they're pushing this fucking agenda. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. You want to cut the power by 50%, yet you want to increase the use of car, like EVs. But like, how the fuck is this going to work? It's so insane. And all the governors too, all the, all the Democrat governors, like we should stop pretending like they're their own autonomous people and instead deliverers of the W E F W H O agenda, UN agenda, you know, because that's what they're doing in lockstep is their word that they use, right? Like as soon as, you know, as soon as Pennsylvania does it or New York does it rather, that's kind of like the, the captain over here. You know, yep. Pennsylvania will fall, Maryland, Delaware, boom, 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 boom. That's how yeah. it worked during COVID. Let me, yeah, it's let me all cookie-cutter responses. It comes from one person, and you could slap a different name on the policy in a different state, and you'd be like, yep, that's exactly what they're going for, too. If you imagine the economic impact of closing a coal power plant, so here in Colorado— the Western Slope is like smaller populated, although I'm pretty sparsely populated here on the eastern side. I'm on the extreme eastern side of um, Colorado. So we're at 5,000 people in the county. A similar county on the Western Slope, they're pretty much their only source of industry was a coal producing power plant. And when that shut down, that essentially crippled the rest of the economic system of that county. It would have been like the impact of closing a third of the businesses in Colorado Springs, for instance, like if you adjust for the different factors, right? So you're expecting people who now don't have jobs to be able to afford an electric vehicle. And we all know they're like brand new. And so they're like expensive, right? So you're dipping into your working class or what people consider a working class. I don't necessarily think that way, but you're dipping into their income, then you're reducing electricity and then you're requiring, well, if you want to drive, then you have to have this electric vehicle and too bad, so sad for you peasant if you can't afford it. So it's just really insidious, the entire, like the entirety. And that's, we've only just discussed two different parts of that. So we could continue going and going how insidious that really is and why it's so terrible for Liberty. Never mind the fact that you also have to upgrade your electrical panel in your house, which is like, depending on where you live, anywhere between like 7 and 10K, because now you have to have a fucking charging port for your car. And in regards to Maryland, I deal with Maryland Tesla drivers like three to five days a week, and uh, we do not need to give these people more Teslas. No. uh, So I guess without maybe doxing myself, I work at a 
school, a trade school, but they have, um, they just started a Tesla program and there's so many. And then, and then the thing is, it's like you, I mean, you know how it is in Delaware or anywhere on the East coast. It's like people live in townhomes, townhome communities, row homes. How the fuck are you going to plug these things in? Like, and to your point, like you got to upgrade your electrical panel. And to Hannah's point, it's like people can't afford this shit. They can't even afford gas cars right now with inflation, let alone the fact that these electric cars are so outrageously expensive yet and totally impractical based on people's current living situations. So it's just it's even even the the cheapest the the cheapest electrical vehicle, I think, is right around like the 30K mark. Yeah. And it's they'll like regu- okay, they'll so, regulate you out of existence, whether so it's the stove or the car. Your, it doesn't matter. So you get your fucking is, car. Sort of, it's like, oh, I have, an, I have a medical emergency. Oh, sorry. 15 minutes until I can drive the thing again. I have to charge it. I can't just pour <laughs> right. liquid into it and have it run. I, I hate to pull things back to my sort of state, but with Alaska, it's like we have 730,000, give or take, people here, and the state is so huge. When people talk about like electric vehicles and this sort of system, I'm like, this can't ever really work on mass here. Like as a state, like you're never going to be able to have a grid that can that can support this. Because what are you going to do? Build a bunch of these things on highways in the middle of nowhere that go across three, four hundred mile stretches? Like no one's going to do that. There's no profits to be made in that. Certainly. Uh, and so you end up with this situation where the only time I ever see an electric vehicle, like I've seen three Teslas in this state ever, they were all in Anchorage, Alaska, which is the biggest city here, and they never leave because you can't. If you want to go to Wasilla from Anchorage or the Kenai Peninsula from Anchorage in either direction, you're going to need to be stopping to charge or going somewhere to figure things out. And most of the cities here just don't have the infrastructure to, to and no one's making money off of it. Well, so who's going to build the money part? Uh, the money part is a huge thing because time. what you have is uh, cars right now, you, you have natural or gas, right? And you have, for the most part, it's private. You have um, gas companies, electric almost entirely is municipal run, state run, what have you. So now there's a control on the grid that's much more insidious that we're going to be really putting the, the kibosh on you. In California, they've, as, as you guys have kind of mentioned, yeah, they're trying to go away from gas stoves, but they're also saying, hey, we're going to outlaw getting um, gas-powered generators. Oh, by the way, we're going to shut the grid down half the, <laughs> half the year. So it, it's, it's crazy town that we have going on with that. California is the same place. California is the same place that literally restricted the purchase of gaming PCs if they were over a certain wattage. A state, by the way, chock full of content creators who make their money with those PCs who pay their taxes. And it's like, oh, that seems like a really smart idea. (laughs) Now, now hear me out on this, guys. You're you're missing the whole idea of the dumpster fire. Can we harness electricity (laughs) from dumpster fires? (laughs) Because yeah, like yeah. it seems like just a really turn that good dumpster into a gasifier. Call there you go. We'll make it look pizza. like Mad Max in here, and then maybe you know it'll be some fun. Do you need four wheel drive in Alaska? So I live extremely rurally. Like I'm four or five hours from a city, right? Um, and I live out in the country, dirt roads, blah blah blah. So we have to have four wheel drive for the winter and spring. Do you? So. Yes and no. I mean, I, I've, I grew up in a place called Big Lake, which had a little bit worse weather than where I'm at now. 
Um, there, we pretty much always had either classic vehicles, because my dad fixed them up, or we had uh, a truck, four-wheel drive truck, pretty much. But we had a bunch of family members, so it was a lot of like vehicles that you could fit them all in. So SUVs with four-wheel drive, that was like the commonality. Now... I'm down here in Seward, which is where my dad grew up, and he's driven this highway since he was 15. So he could drive it in a, a moped with his eyes closed. So it, the weather doesn't really bother him as much when he's driving on that road. He can drive pretty much anything. But so, um, no, I mean, we drove, we drove a 1968 uh, Thunderbird for the majority of my childhood. Uh, and that thing, I mean, <laughs> uh, ice is uh, <laughs> you, you sort of just glide when you hit ice like <laughs> so Tesla's like I just don't know are they very practical for oh, America? not in the snow whatsoever because the cold weather in general with electric vehicles is its mortal enemy you'd think with batteries keeping them cool would be good but the reality is they expel their charge a lot faster so mm-hmm. You have all these Teslas who are rated for 300, 350 miles that are getting like an average of 180 because they're here. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) during the winter, you might be driving around in, you know, negative 10, negative 15 degrees. Your your car ain't going to be running for very long. Didn't that happen up in New York where they had EV trucks like snowplows in Buffalo? You guys from New York are probably familiar. Didn't that um, this year they, they had some EVs? Not they're complete, but they're like slowly changing their fleet of vehicles. And I think it was in Buffalo. They were having I- issues when it was so damn cold. They wouldn't start or they wouldn't work. And it was yeah, like, I believe I remembered hearing something about that. And, you know, it's one of these things where it's like everybody goes ahead and jumps on the this is the new cool thing to do. And nobody actually thinks about the real logistics behind it until you're faced with like a perilous, perilous situation. And you're like, oh, shit, I can't go ahead and do the same things that I used to do with this. I think they, I think New York city also ran into the same issue um, with they're starting to use like a fleet of garbage trucks during the winter. And they got hit with some, like a cold stretch for like a week. And they're like, Oh, well this sucks because we essentially like have half of the running time that we normally would on a given day. So we can't go ahead and complete, you know, garbage picks up, pick up. Sorry about all the, sorry about all the rats, everybody. Yeah. Which is, which is hilarious because now it's literally illegal to have trash on any street in New York city, um, outside of like a very specific, I think it's like a four hour window where like pickups are done. It's, we have a, a guy in New York who I think he manages some properties in the city and he's constantly just getting ticketed and battling with, with problems. Um, yeah. All from, you know, another batshit crazy leftist mayor who happened to have his own rat infestation and he's fighting the city council because they're fining him because of his rat infestation. You literally cannot make this shit up. It's clown world. Uh, Boris Mommy commented about the diesel trucks bringing out the parts and pieces for all the wind turbines, which I have a ton of those around this area because I'm on the plains, the high plains, and, you know, that gentle prairie breeze and all. And they've really expanded our wind turbine farms and all that. And they it's just truck after truck after truck after truck. We have train lines. We could probably save some carbon on the train lines. <laughs> You know what I mean? We have one wind turbine here, and everybody in the city complained about it so much that they never built any more. 
<laughs> we're just like we're done <laughs> I, I just got back from a i just got back from a trip from nebraska and i kid you not i thought i saw a tesla pulling a tiny honda generator so it sounds like the solution is gas-powered vehicles come on anyone come on yeah. man the, the, the great thing about uh wind power is that it's fucking terrible so um <laughs> they're made out of they're made People out of unrecyclable start. materials first of all uh, they clap birds at just remarkable rates. Like birds <laughs> just get clapped by these things like all day. So they're just massacring bird populations. Uh, when they fail, they're, these things are lubricated by oil, grease, things of that nature. So like when they fail, they're just pissing oil all over the place. So it's like this thing that's supposed to be environmentally friendly is really just like a statue that looks like it's environmentally friendly and then just obliterates the environment around it. It's, it's another one of those like kind of standard feel good things where it's like, Oh look, we have a wind turbine. Yeah. But it also just murdered like 60,000 fucking rare birds this year. Good news. The insects and things like that. Last year we had a massive drought. My family, they do wheat farming. So we had a massive expansion of our wind farms from COVID funds. My kids, we drive by and they're always like, look, they're curing COVID. But it's interesting because not only did we have a massive drought, but we had an incredible sawfly infestation in the wheat around all of these wind farms. That could be the impact on the ecosystem of birds dying, but also because they also kill tons of insects, right? And everyone's going on about honeybees and you need bees to pollinate the fields. Why live in those fields, right? Um, so that was everybody I know lost on their field, on their wheat last year, and a lot of other crops. It between the drought and then the different insect infestations, and you have to understand the science. Not that okay, Monsanto's great because like it's not, but the way that farming has developed and has built us into several different industrial revolutions, right? They have bug infestations down to literally a science. And what used to be massive swarms of like grasshoppers and things that would just devastate and wipe out everyone, um, that doesn't happen anymore. So nobody can really explain why the sawflies were so out of balance, except me, well, bull, you know, but all these farmers, well, they love their subsidies, right? So what's another subsidy? They're getting paid by the taxpayers to put this shit on their lands. My grandpa has two on his lands and he's in charge of writing all the regulations for the county, which is so corrupt, right? And I'm like, you deserve that soft lie infestation. You are you're so fucking corrupt. I don't know if I can say that. Damn it, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. So we have big fights about that. And he's a Republican, right? Crazy, Man, crazy. did you tell him about the deal that you guys made? Maybe he should be cooler. You know. <laughs> Pause on that real quick because we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, one more real quick topic. Ryan, we're going to bring it back local. I'm not sure if you heard, but Sarah McBride, uh, Delaware's first transgender oh, representative. For Christ's sake. She will be – you didn't even hear yet what happened. Right, but anyway, I'm um, just kidding. She, um, Everything. She'll be running for Lisa Blunt Rochester's – House of Representatives spot. So Lisa Blunt Rochester's going after Tom Carper's um, Senate seat. And, you know, they all just endorse each other. That's the Delaware way. It's all, you know, pre-planned. Uh, but, but State Senator McBride wants to be the first elected, um, you know, the first transgender member of the House of Representatives. So I guess I'll put it out to you. 
Um, is that good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? And what should we do? And I'll, to the whole room, what should the Libertarian Party do with these openings at the at the federal level? And if if anything, but I'll start with you, Ryan. What do you think we should do? So about this, this is this is like a uh, like a boys to men cover group called Bad to Worse. So um, yeah, no, uh, she. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that thing's fucking pronouns are, uh, but it. Uh, that's that's terrible because this is this is the with she whatever has trans children those exist oh um, i didn't know that i didn't know that yeah okay. yeah because yeah i think she's got like a three-year-old four-year-old or something it's like oh they're all trans no they're no. not they, they they don't even know what planet they're on oh my god they gosh. barely know what state they live in and you're telling me that they're like oh i'm this no oh my god so let me, this is, I guess this is one of those times where so like I think that so obviously the the primary solution is to hope that uh, you know statistics are real and they play out properly. But otherwise, um, I, I, I mean, we kind of have to. We might have to do like the Democrat thing and and pray on emotion because, uh, I mean, look for me we, like that's that's the hard line is like once you start getting kids involved and. This is the same one that's like the state of Delaware should pay for your child to get their. No, that's not her. That that's not the same one? woman. Yeah, there's yeah, another yeah. one. Oh, Deshaun, for fuck's sake. So so sorry, Deshaun and Neil, <laughs> who I've done a couple episodes on, has she is non-binary. That's how she and she's a house rep, house, house rep, and she's got two trans kids, and that's a, a separate story. We've been going to war with her, but Sarah McBride is a transgender per, woman who will be the first transgender in the federal house of representatives as in Congress. Oh, I know. Okay. So this is, if she this wins is the one, the seat. this is the one that was like super anti-gun and, oh, yeah. I wanted and to she fucking... sponsored the bill that says like, we can take your kids away and they can, you know, yeah, if they get all, if yeah. they get the drugs, then, you know, you can't sue anybody. So she's all on board with all that stuff. Yeah. Is it, is it automatically, I'll open this up to everybody. Is it automatically, is she is she starting at a deficit because she's a trans person? Like, are you like, are you like, damn it? Like, can we do better, or or would you take every trans person as uh, an individual? And, in Del you know, in Delaware, they're getting there. That's a that's an immediate buff. That's an immediate buff because now you are. Well, I can claim oppression because I chose to live my life this way, and yada yada. Like, you're like. I I actually called this a few years ago, not a few years ago. It was longer ago than I'd like to admit, but like 2014, 15, when all this stuff kind of started kicking off on like Tumblr, where it was just like a handful of degenerates making up shit on the internet. Once it started entering the mainstream, I'm like, dude, people are going to start doing this strategically. And then you have, you know, Kevin Spacey is conveniently gay once he gets caught diddling kids. Now everyone's going to be trans when they are when they either a want to be perceived as a victim or b they want to seek a position of power and get kind of like the um like the Obama thing. I voted for the first black president. Yeah, and you did it purely because of one immutable trait. There was nothing about his policies or anything that you cared about. You chose the one thing and he lashed onto that. So now people are going to be like, I wanted to be on the right side of history and vote for the first transgendered whatever the fuck. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely well, a net positive. It's funny, dude. It's funny you mentioned that because in Obamacare, like the, the, 
the law that, or, or I forget the statute, whatever, part of it, that Deshauna Neal cited when she got Medicaid to pay for her kids' transition was the, the part of, of Obamacare that says you can't discriminate based on gender. So that's what they use to kind of like set the precedent in these states. That's what she did in Delaware. I think it's happened in other states too, 12 oh or, or more. But um, anyway, we don't have to spend too much time on that. But I did want to put it out there because there are a couple seats that are open. And Colorado, do you have any um, pointers for us here? What would you do in, in, in this situation if you were working with some seriously limited resources? Um, but there were some openings for, you know, you could run some candidates or you could run, I don't know, a campaign of sorts. Do you have anything to add to that? So I would find a really radical person and I would fund that candidate against that. And, um, that's what I would do. Would you run? So you guys kind of, I'm sorry, real quick, Elisio, you guys kind of have a similar, we can, we'll get more into it, but you guys are a heavy blue states, like dominated, right? Mm -hmm. We are too. So, yeah, you might have to kind of think outside of the box there. Would you run a libertarian or would you try and have a liberty Republican or would you find a liberty Democrat to, to, to primary? I would look at all of my options and decide what is the most financially responsible and also going to win. So whatever that looks like, I would consider all my options. Say a liberty Democrat popped up. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at that really hard. Say, you know, a Liberty Republican pops up and they've signed my pledge. I'm going to look at that really hard. Say, say I'm working with third parties and we're strategizing what candidates can run where um, the most effectively and efficiently. I'm going to look at that as well. Yeah. And I'd love to know her campaign slogan or whatever. Is it like don't send a woman to do a man's job because if that's the case, then it would probably be really wise to run like a really strong Liberty woman, right? Like, man, it, you know, everybody can hate on Forrest Mommy, but my girl Jessica Fenske is pretty based, right? Like, yeah. I'd be like thinking, yeah, she'd be the best one to run up against this person, right? Like, campaign-minded. What was that? I could see the, uh, the, the, the... What was the name of the person who you said was running for this position, the... The trans person. Uh, Sarah I, I McBride. Sarah McBride. <laughs> Sarah McBride cocks out 2024. <laughs> <laughs> cocks off 2024. <laughs> cocks off. I did yeah, see a like story. Uh, halfway to being a meacock. <laughs> story from Indiana. There was a city council. Like, she's a, no, she's, a, she's a they them call. If your cock lasts longer than four hours, contact <laughs> your doctor to have it cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! No, I, I, we floated. I floated this out when when the news of Colorado with the agreement um, that was made with the Republican Party in Colorado, and I floated it out amongst the board members and and Nicox here in Maryland. I was like, "What do you guys think about this strategy?" And they're like, "One, it's too early." And they're like, "All the fucking Republicans in Maryland suck, so fuck them." But there are a few that maybe it's like I don't know, but that is that because our strategy is local. Do you really want to waste funds like you know you're like you said? Dave, well, that's the thing. It's a, it's a, these are, are both federal right. These are both federal races. Yeah. So should mm-hmm. the Libertarian Party? You know, if if anything, like you know, Forest Mommy, you mentioned she is based, but she could win for sure her city council race. That's mm-hmm. you know that's absolutely in the cards. It's a different game to play, you know, with these federal races and things. But just for the troll points alone, I don't know. I figure something should be done. So everybody should start maybe just letting that percolate. 
um, that maybe we should do something when this lady's running for, for well, federal Dave, office? I don't, I don't know if you saw, but um, myself and Carter had a chat with a guy who commented on one of our LPD posts that said he was really interested in running for an open seat, any open seat. Um, Shit. I wish he wasn't so not picky and he got to show up to a meeting. That's what I'll say first. I I invited him to (laughs) one. Um, He seems pretty serious. He was like, he was like, dude, you know, I just, it's kind of a story we've heard a lot where the guy grew up in a more Democrat family, joined the armed forces with a more Republican mindset and then came out of it being like, yeah, fuck all of this. And he's very heated, very animated. So this could be something that would play to his strength. Like that, uh, I'm the same way. Like if I was going to run, which I never would, because they take one look at my Twitter and I'd be in fucking jail. But you know, like if I was going to run, I would I would run against someone that has a topic like that that absolutely disgusts me, and I would just spew the most vile. <laughs> poisonous vitriolic rhetoric i think there's a i think there's a role for that for sure man yeah absolutely um if it's cool with you sorry go ahead man go ahead go go right ahead sorry no you're good no get it in because i'm going to move into the main topics but if you got something to add on that go go um well no it's probably it'll probably have to do with the main topic so i'll let you just roll over yeah let's roll into it so as we said earlier um colorado is Got some really cool stuff going on right now, as they uh, will let you know. <laughs> and uh, and New York has some challenges ahead, so that's why I wanted to talk to you guys specifically. Um, and then we got, of course, some other Meekhawks can lend their opinions and expertise. But um, I did grab a piece of mainstream press that you guys got, so let's check this out. Says it has struck an unprecedented deal to keep libertarian candidates out of potentially tight races. Some Republicans blame libertarians for playing spoiler, siphoning off votes from GOP candidates and allowing Democrats to win in Colorado. Like the case of Dan Ward, you know, the death metal sound guy that we told you about. He got 3.9% of the vote in Colorado's new 8th congressional district last year. That was double the average of other libertarian House candidates and Democratic Candidate Yadira Caraveo won that race by a single point. So the Colorado GOP says today that the deal is that libertarians will not run candidates in races where Republicans put up strong pro-liberty candidates. So what does pro-liberty mean? It really depends on which libertarian you ask these days. The national libertarian platform used to support abortion rights as an individual liberty issue. That was taken out last year when a group of far right-wing libertarians took over the party. Oh, shit. Did you guys hear about that? <laughs> yeah. That's I wonder who that was. Sounds oh, pretty fucking gosh. based, if you ask me. <laughs> I'll tell you what. In fact, the libertarian <laughs> candidate for U.S. Senate in Colorado last year, he focused his campaign on opposition to abortion and support for traditional family values. Again, he's a libertarian running on essentially like a traditional conservative platform. Here's where the Republican Libertarian Pact in Colorado could make a difference. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's race. Boebert won by 546 votes, or 0.07% last year. Mm, That's some libertarian margins there. I like that. There was not a libertarian in that race. If Republicans are hoping to keep a libertarian out of Boebert's re-election in 2024... They should probably talk to the state Libertarian Party chair about whether she thinks Boebert is pro-liberty. 
<laughs> so I cut it there. And I know you came on next. So since you're here, Hannah, maybe you could catch us up to speed. Uh, what's going on in Colorado? So in a sense, they don't actually have it correct, right? They want to really, the Nine News really wants to put the emphasis on, we are not running candidates against Republicans. But what they really fail to understand is that's actually not the case, right? So if we have a Republican candidate, that's something like, I don't know, Rand Paul or Thomas Massey or something cool like that. Like, we are going to see what we can do to influence influence the delegates at convention to really think about, do we really want to run a, a, a libertarian against such a strong candidate? Right. But here's the thing. Most GOP candidates are very establishment candidates and they're not going to be down necessarily to be a hardcore liberty candidate. So this is me throwing my weight around the political arena of Colorado and seeing what I can come up with and seeing just exactly how much power I have and exactly how much power I don't have. I just basically put a new, a fresh ride on a new Colt, right? And it went real well. So I have a lot of hope for this Colt. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe he'll become a Bronco someday. Um, so that's really what we are doing here. And essentially what I'm doing is I'm shot calling the, the GOP of Colorado and saying, hey, produce some really, really cool candidates or get out of my way and I'm going to be a thorn in your side. And if you show up and your candidate isn't a strong liberty candidate, I'm going to give them hell. So yeah. that's that's the real story behind it. Um and, and you know what? You know what sucks. People don't understand the implications of this, guys. Do you realize that the Libertarian Party of Colorado is the arbiter of what liberty means? Like that is huge. We can tell people that the governor is not a libertarian. We can tell people that whoever's running in the GOP, if you see an L in that race, there's probably reasons why, right? We have to spend money on this race because they're not upholding libertarian values. Like there's massive amounts of value in what's going on here. Um, and I just, it, it sucks that there's a lot of people that are short-minded. I don't want, I don't want to call anyone out, but they have like this weird boomer mentality of politics where if we continue to not push liberty in a certain, like, you know, if it's not from the libertarian party, it's never going to happen. It's like, guys, no, get your head out of your butts. Like we really have to re-strategize. If the ultimate goal is liberty, we got to get that in no matter what. And that's why, you know, everyone on the board of directors um, has bought behind Hannah's vision about reshaping Colorado's political landscape. And she already did it in two months. <laughs> like, think about how crazy that is. That is crazy. Yeah. You're a, you're, we didn't mention that. You're a newly elected chair. Yes, I well, I was vice chairman for a term of two years, and then I stepped into chairman uh, in April. So I am very new. And, you know, the Colorado board uh, works in a really revolutionary way. We have work sessions where we're implementing different strategy as far as a board to unite and work. So I was really able to hit my board with my vision and have them help me work on different avenues to accomplish this vision. So it's not just me doing this work. This is a culmination of the work of my board buying into my vision. And my vision is to radically shape the political landscape of Colorado. And I'm already doing that. And we're going to continue to do that. Booyah. Who wants to comment on that? What's going on in Colorado? So, I, um, I, I, 
looking from a from my perspective here, I uh, I think it's sort of a a good idea. I mean, I've I've looked at the discourse on Twitter, obviously, and the whole back and forth after it was all announced, and I saw everything go public. Um, I've seen this strategy used before in the Alaska context. I'm I'm sort of a historian at this point for the the days of the Alaskan Independence Party, which was a political party over here, um, which uh, actually won the governor's race uh, and put somebody in the governor's seat over here back in the the 90s. Um, And I was invited to their convention, so I'm going to be going to their convention this year to talk to them as sort of a, a, a crossing of the bridge from the libertarian side over to that side to talk with them about sort of the Alaskan nationalism thing. But back in the day, the way they won that governor's race in uh, the 90s was with this guy named uh, Hickel. And uh, he was a Republican who had lost a race previously, but he still had a lot of state support. And um, so the Independence Party convinced the person they were going to run to step down uh, and to not run, and they put him in their place. uh, And he won the election. I do think it's sort of a double-edged sword in a sense, because in that case, what we sort of saw play out is that that person got into office and then sort of went back on a lot of the things they had said and obviously uh, kowtowed to that system. So I think it's sort of something you have to be very, very attentive on who is involved and who is getting say-so and who's making decisions as far as what candidates must Yeah. Uh, but I think if you have that in place, then it's it's effective. Uh, so, and it was effective for them. It just, you know, it's the same thing. You don't have a good enough vetting process. So part of it is I'm not going to ask anyone to step down if they've been nominated by the delegates, right? I believe that the delegates at convention have and hold a sacred power. And I'm not going to ever try to override my delegates at convention. But here's the thing. Another fun thing uh, of my board buying into my vision and working really hard uh, to help us achieve multiple victories is Colorado showed up to this legislative session. The LP of Colorado showed up to this legislative session and we kicked some serious ass. Everything that we showed up to oppose in strong numbers failed. Um, we duked it out with both the left and right in this legislative session. And the best thing that I learned is when you show up, you have a lot of power, right? So if we have somebody go back on a pledge, I'm going to show up and they're going to have to see my face quite a bit. They're going to have to see a lot of people's faces. I'm going to literally be a thorn in their side. And that's what I do on the local level. So everything I've done and created on my local level, I'm now turning around and handing the state party to do. And it's better because it's more than just me, right? So I can have multiple people show up multiple times. We can work with other single issue coalitions that come and lobby our state government. And I got to be real honest, I'm a very formidable enemy. I have endless amounts of energy. I can do all three things through spite, which gives me strength. Please spite me. Please go back on your word. I'm going to eat you for fucking breakfast. So that's my plan. Yeah. And what's funny is uh, we've had a lot of people even play the role of like what the left really values and had that group of people attack them directly. Right. So like, for example, we had some people testify about how certain bills are, what are they called? Hannah, they're ableist, right? Because they're debilitating the, 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 
the disabled community. I personally testify in Spanish and I try to see how many of those people that actually even know Spanish, right? And just to tell them that there's people in the community that don't like what they're doing. Like a lot of Spanish people don't really like the Democrats or the far left. It's like the worst thing uh, that could ever happen to humanity, honestly, in my opinion. Um, it, but but I, I really do want to emphasize that the other thing that we got out of this whole deal that, that people don't really talk about, which is fine, is that our local candidates will virtually run unopposed by the Republicans. Do you guys see the potential in that? If we put in somebody and we run them, we will have no opposition virtually from the one party that could probably give us the most opposition. Because to be quite frank with you, the positions that we have and the outspoken candidates that we present are much better than any of the Democratic wusses they can put up. Right. And I have a massive examples of, of a ton of them. We just need more candidates, honestly. Like that's it's such a blessing that the only deficit we have right now is that we just need more candidates. Bring them our way. If you guys are in Colorado and want to run, talk to us because we could probably get you in office, get that experience, get the uh, community uh, knowing what it feels like to be, you know, have a libertarian representing them. Uh, just like all the work that Aaron Lamb is doing as the mayor of Keensburg. People love Aaron. Right. Like they want to share a beer with the mayor. Like he is such a cool guy and he's done so much good for for his town. That's what we want. We need our candidates trained so that when we do do a do do, I just said do do when we do a run for maybe a federal level or or a bigger level, people are used to it. They know the track record. They know what's going on. And, And that's really the like the foundation of the strategy. We want more people locally to run. And then if you can give us a Ron Paul, if you can give us a Thomas Massey, why would we spend resources on you? Right. Like that just seems so far fetched. We don't want to spend money like. So. So real quick, I'll say that all of us probably here would go. All right. Rand Paul, Thomas Massey. Everybody knows those guys are like the best. But in the video, the guy was like, well, they got Lauren Boebert. No. So. So that's a hard, hard, hard pass for you. I feel like that that might. Oh, go ahead. No. So, you know, Dave Williams. Uh, so I'm very tapped into my local and state governments. Uh, I don't really watch federal stuff because like, why? Anyway. Um, so Dave Williams from the GOP, he's chairman now. He was a former House representative and he is literally like the Rand Paul, the Thomas Massey of Colorado. He gave a taxation as theft speech from the floor of the assembly and was booed by Democrats. So, you know, there is people we have we have a patrick neville and his voting record's even better than dave williams there's another man so we do have some really strong liberty candidates on the state level and you know bobert could tighten up on some issues great she she looks great uh she's really strong on the second amendment cool like don't be a one-trick pony like level yourself up i want to hear you speak about capitalism i want you to i want you to finesse my ear my girl i want you to tell me about how you want that free trade i want you to tell me how you want that sound monetary policy right talk as sexy as you fucking look that's that's what i think i want to, to hear from her and that is the only opposition i have to her is that like you are a one-trick pony and the second amendment is important but you know what there is a lot of other bigger issues here and we're all dying for liberty so get on the liberty bandwagon hell yeah (laughs) 
but uh, but I, I, I would love to know like w- what part of this is stupid, right? Like like because I really like to work out the kinks with all of these plans. Um, I I I I read a lot, read a lot of case law. I, I read a lot of everything, and I want to know like what is the worst part about this because. We want to make sure that everything is ironed out because if this works in Colorado, we I pray that it could be replicated in other states. If the if the Florida LP wants to team up with the Democrats to take down the authoritative Republicans down there, let's use Colorado as a blueprint, right? But I, I know this is a test run. We want to work out the kinks. What are like the dumbest things about this plan? Other than people calling us shills for Republicans, which we're freaking not. We're calling the shots here. But like what else? It, what, what's dumb about this? That, that's, that's what I would love to know. Well, I mean, I, I w- oh, go ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I would say my um, my main concern, my main view of it is like is exactly what I sort of went over before. It's sort of like somebody like Bobert, um, I I view as uh, I, I I mean to be honest with you, I think her politics aren't her politics. They come from other people. They're all formed from whatever makes her popular. Um, I don't see her as being really a you know, liberty candidate. That's a, a a stretch for me personally, coming from my politics. But uh, I, I, you know, I think that's something that Colorado is going to have to decide on their own. I mean, it's not I, I really. Think that she has, you know, other she states the, aren't. She's gonna, portrayed as she's portrayed as somebody who would be closer to. You know, she's not Mitt Romney. So, so an average Colorado Republican might think, wait, you don't like that? That's what we were talking about when we said Liberty Republican or something like that, you know? She actually has a really – you should look up her voting record. Um, something that I could – like I could speak positively about her just as easily as I could speak negatively about her. Uh, but I'll just challenge just a little bit, everyone. Um, look up her voting record. She votes a lot like Thomas Massey. So maybe the ideas in her head aren't her own, but she is – shrewd right which is its own sort of intelligence so she's seeing thomas massey as being very liked by anti-establishment people so she's probably in her mind going okay i would like to also be liked by those same people because that's my base so she's absorbing some of that and so that's a benefit right um also she's one of three Republicans elected to federal government from colorado the rest are democrat um we are in a democratic single whole, like they own my state house, my state Senate, and they own the majority of my federally elected people. They own a tremendous amount of my local elected officials and county officials, right? So that's terrifying. Um, so if, you know, Bobert wants to tighten up on her liberty stance and she wants people to really help her out on that, I would like just challenge her to that. I, that's come up to my level then i would like to see you perform here you're performing here please perform here and if you manage to make it here great we have no problems and you know some people really work really work well when you set bars for them i'm one of those people i'll do anything you ask you continually raise that bar i'm going to continually exceed it can i just say something real quick which is i I think the great part about what's happening with that colorado is they are now going to have to listen, the Republicans, listen to the LP. And that's at least something, right? So maybe Bobert, she gets, she maybe she's like MTG where she kind of follows Massey, but then she's going to follow someone else. Fine, but maybe she's going to have to listen a little bit to you guys or whomever it is. And I think that, you know, for where we're at, we have to take into account the reality on the situation on the ground. And if you can pull someone's strings a bit, um, that might be even more beneficial. 
That's exactly. I love, it's a big, it's a bar, big bargaining t- tool that I have right now. In fact, I haven't signed up for any of Bobert's emails or anything like that. And I woke up this morning and my chair email was an email sent directly to me and to info at lpcolorado.org. Um, but they had to actually put my email address in there. So they sent me an update from their campaign team. So I know for a fact, she's probably going, somebody around her is going to watch this, see this and see exactly what my issues are and hear exactly how I'm telling her I would like to see them fixed. And they're going to give her that feedback. So then, like, let's sit back. And if you notice a shift in her campaigning, then you know that bargain tool worked real well, didn't it? And I'm getting (laughs) exactly what I want. And and what I really think is important, guys, like anyone listening, that if you're a state affiliate, think about the power that you have of this. You know, they call it the swing vote. Swing whatever you got, man. Like this is desperate times, right? Desperate times call for desperate measures. To me, this is like Optimus Prime teaming up with Megatron to defeat some other weird ghoul coming out of space, right? Like it sucks. I don't like Megatron. But if you have to defeat this thing so that you can continue on with a campaign to help support liberty, do it. Right. This is desperate. This is yeah, what we have and to do, do it. And, and I'm listen, I'll say it now. I'm 100 percent behind this. I was I was behind this idea before I saw you guys do it. But they call it the kingmaker strategy. Like, yeah, dude, there's an immense amount of power in two or three or four percent. Can you imagine if you controlled four percent of the vote in the state like that would be you could decide all elections. We just saw we'll talk more about maybe Porkfest and those guys in a little bit. But you saw guys like Vivek Ram, uh, Ramaswamy and uh, RFK Jr. go in there to get the libertarian lobby. You know, they're not libertarians, but they're like, they're going to try and schmooze us because they want that block. You know, it's a voting block. And if we can kind of harness it within the Mises Caucus and the party and, you know, leverage 2%, then they will, they will probably come to you. And that's so, that's so valuable. And you'll get the results that you want to see. If you don't care about party, as much as you do about libertarian principles being implemented where you live, because that's what I care about. Like, I don't, yeah. if I could get a democratic libertarian to go against Sarah McBride and win, well, that's where you're going to catch me for the next six or eight months, you know, when, yeah. where that's happening. Dave, you um, and I have talked about this at length. Um, like the strategy of, like, especially in Delaware, I feel like it's like a 55-45 split. Because you have Newcastle County, which is blue as fuck, and then you have Kenton Sussex that are very, very red. Um, and it's like we can use that power to go to the Republicans and say, hey, your guy fucking sucks on this. And if you want our support, you better change it. Yeah, and this state is so small. That's what I think the kind of miracle here is. The, in fact, the guy who manages the girl who just got elected to lead the GOP. He managed uh, Julianne Murray's campaign. He had your job and my job, dude. He was the Newcastle County chair of the Libertarian Party like 10 or 15 years ago. I'm not sure. But there's a lot of overlap, you know? Yeah. So, and it's a small state, so you can get him on the horn and you can meet up real quick and you can do Zoom calls and, and whatever. And I would absolutely be for that. So, yeah, I just wanted to applaud you guys for doing that. Like, right out of the gate, yeah, you're, you're the new chair. You had a plan. And it's I just think it's... inspirational. It's inspirational, yeah. and, it, and it, it, it makes me want to not just talk about doing it here. I think we need to try and throw our weight around a little bit and see what we can do because, 
I mean, some of the GOP um, representatives here have been voting for like anti-gun shit. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we just we just did this as like a compromise to slow him down. We're going to get him next time. And it's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Michael Malice is correct. You are progressives driving the speed limit. And until we hold your feet to the fire and hold you accountable, you're going to keep doing the same fucking thing over and over again until 10 years from now. We're just an extension of New Jersey. Yeah. So I had this really interesting interview today. And I remember Hannah and I were talking to the interviewee and we're asking the audience the serious question. If you guys are conservatives, what in the heck is left to conserve? Like, think about it. Because if they, if if right now we just remove all the left, what is left? This isn't conservatism, even at your guys's like level. The best thing you guys can conserve is liberty. That's literally number one. That's number one. Conservatives should be focused on conserving liberty. What's left to conserve? Because like seriously, like right, like think about it. Like this is dumb. Well, if if, if everyone got kicked off right now, it would be it would be a hellhole anyway, right? We don't want that. And I mean, let's be honest. For the last fifty years. Where have we gotten ourselves with the strategy that we've been using all along? We are no closer to liberty than we've ever been before. Something needs to change. We need to start taking different approaches. This is just but one way of a, you know, unusual and unorthodox sort of way of doing it. While we're still playing, you know, kind of in between the lines. You know, if we can't, if 50 years of trying to fight for ballot access and trying to do things the traditional way haven't yielded anything, well, you know what? It's about damn time something changes. Absolutely. And the other, another feedback I've gotten from people who are very critical of this is that they don't believe that libertarians are spoilers. And I'm not here really to debate that, but guess what? If your enemy thinks that they, that there, if there's something they fear about you, why would you not lean into that? And why you. would you not use that as a weapon? I am going to find what bothers you, and I'm going to torture you with it. And I'm yeah. until you do exactly what it is I want you to do. That is how I operate. And you know, also, I'm massively fanatical about the Mises Caucus strategy. Um, I've been hooked on that whole idea. And I, it's something I've been doing naturally on my own. The way that I was able to do this, I'm going to explain to you so that you guys can implement this for yourselves and find ways to work stuff out. So I show up to everything I possibly can that's local. I live so far away that I have to glom on where I can. So I go to my city council meetings. Uh, I find out problems and I notify the public and I get the public whipped up about it and I get them to overflow chambers, right? So I attend school board meetings. I attend county commissioners meetings. Um, I'm constantly following my state legislature and trying to get in where I can on that level, right? So I'm in the middle of that. You're building relationships with the actual people elected party people, party officials, regular people who are dying for liberty and need your help, right? So meeting all of these people is a part of that strategy. Yep, it takes time. I've been doing this since 2017. I've been doing this officially as a libertarian since 2018. So, and I've been doing this with the Mises Caucus since the end or the very beginning of 2021. Or it may, it may have been actually November of 2020, something like that. So 
you know, it takes a long time. And then once you have these connections and you've built these, this trust with people, because that's really important. That's an important piece of this. Then you can really start stirring, right? You're stirring little pots, doing all those things. But once it all comes together, that's a bigger pot, right? And eventually you're going to whip out and you're going to catch your state level and your federal, federal level. It's very, very, very important to advocate and activate on your local level. You're going to become people's hero. You're going to build a reputation of trust. You're going to be able to explain to people your ideas. Um, and they're, you know, when you're face to face with somebody, my passion is contagious, right? Um, many people can see things I write and it's very passionate, but when you get me in person, it's over the top and it's so capturing and engaging. And these personal relationships are, are super important and that's why the local level is like sent like it's the prime mover really and everything else follows after that so if you would like to implement the strategy that colorado is now doing on our state level get active in your local level start building relationships and then once you do those things then you can start making demands and seeing how far you can get without those like key pieces under you, you may or may not have the same effect, right? It is the kingmaker strategy, but I've been building the board up for my one move and it's just exciting. Yeah. And so, um, go ahead, go, 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 go. I I was was going to make another point. I I, want to hear it, but I just want to say worst case scenario, let's say we fail miserably, right? Then, the Prags retake the retake over the party, and then if they win an election, they can still thank us because we screwed up so royally. But the positive is if we don't screw this up, and this is definitely a great opportunity, liberty moves forward again. We don't want to see any more lockdowns. No more lockdowns. No more mandates. No more ba- you know ba- uh, uh, bailouts for the banks. We're sick of that, man. That that stuff affects everyone, including people in my community. Right? It sucks. Nobody wants to see that anymore. And I think. As Mises caucus folk, um, we we have that boldness to do it, right? And if we screw up, all right, we we at least tried, right? No, we we get some points for trying. So that's that that's the way we look at it. So, so I wanted to I wanted to respond. Um, I saw Hector put a chat in just a second. If you want to um, highlight it, but he was talking about the fifty years is enough to know. Um, you know, I I have a different sort of take on that specifically because. You know, the, the Libertarian Party in Alaska back in the 70s and 80s was something different than what it is today. Um, you know, we had Dick Randolph, who was the first person elected to partisan office under the Libertarian banner. He was elected here in Alaska in 78. We had State Representative Fanning. He was in the 80s. Uh, same thing with uh, Andre Morrow who's in the 80s, these are people who were elected state representatives under the Libertarian banner. Um, By the time the 90s came, the Libertarian Party shifted the way that it was sort of doing things, and Alaska became sort of a second second place state in a way, mainly because the delegates, uh, the number of delegates that they have, it wasn't seen as valuable to put assets into the state anymore. Um, And I think that's happened in a lot of states. So I think it becomes sort of a, a, a battle where you're, yes, the strategy has been used for a very long time, but in my view, that strategy has been used very poorly over those 50 years. Um, in fact, I'd argue that 
really that strategy was only tried for four or five years before it was completely thrown to the curbside. So I think it's something that, I don't know my perspective on it and the way a lot of people, especially on Twitter, talk about it. I think they get it wrong from a, a historical standpoint, the way that the party operated going through the the 70s and 80s specifically, because I think that was a very important period for the, the party as a as it had a lot of movement in it. You had vote percentages, if you look at the races over here for some of these things, where the Libertarian Party isn't averaging 2 or 3%, they're averaging 5 6 7%, um, much better margins than what you see today. Um, so I think it's it's weird. Although we have this kind of test period where we've tried these methods, it's like, well, how much of this has actually been kept to and how much of it was to the way that these things were supposed to be played out. Um, and that could be the way that candidates are picked. I'm sure we're going to talk about sort of the presidency thing and that'll bring up some of those discussions. Uh, but yeah, I just want to sort of make that point as a response to that side of things. But other than that, I think what Colorado is doing is smart. I think it makes sense to have as many bargaining chips as you can. And it, it doesn't require you to do anything. It just opens up the playing field for you to do something mm-hmm. uh, that can get more eyes, which is always a good thing. So, I did have a question for you guys in Colorado. So with the third party status there versus the duopoly status, do you guys have to run your internal primaries and pick your candidates before um the republicans do yes so yes that's really interesting right uh our assembly is usually before both of the other two and actually like the reason it'll be so early next year is because we're doing delegates for the national convention so we can't hold it any later than a certain point right um and there's our later so but right now you know each party, all parties are actively, so a political party in theory, if it's good at what it's doing, is going to be working cycles ahead of itself. So even though you're working in a a certain election cycle now, you're already strategizing and working on the next and the next. And I, you know, you don't want to go too far ahead. You don't want to go too far behind. Um, but right now, currently, the GOP, already the minority leaders are canvassing and going through and trying to find candidates right now. But we are as well, right? And I'm assuming that the Democrats probably are, um, unless they have everything really nailed down pretty tight, um, which may or may not be true. Um, we're all right now doing that. So it's pivotal that we move right now. And we're working as far as like, how is this going to work in theory, like in, in the strategy? We're crafting a pledge for Liberty Republicans or well for candidates to contemplate signing. And if they feel that they would live up to those terms, they can sign and we have that. So then we have those before our assembly process. And then what we will do is we'll address the delegates at assembly and say, you can run this candidate if there is one. Or, you know, we have this pledge from the Republican party. This person is going to, you know, have a much technically statistically better shot at being elected than we are and these are the things they've committed to now this is a risk this is a gamble they once again they could go back on their word but at the same time we can activate against them and make their entire legislative career miserable you know yeah that was really where i was more kind of curious about is what repercussions did you have in mind if they kind of do a sleight of hand and 
go ahead and switch things up on you or say they're going to run somebody Liberty and then decide, eh, maybe not, or some externalities happen and, you know, they don't. That was my only concern is just like, how do you guys actually go ahead and protect yourself? So the, uh, I was, all I was going to say, Hannah, is that the Mises caucus is a meme machine and we are mean, man. We can crank out memes like no one's business. Uh, and I don't think anyone wants a meme produced by us, honestly, because we'll tear them apart. Go ahead, yeah. Hannah. The governor Look at what you've done with your governor on Twitter. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, yes. Haven't, haven't talked about that yet, but I mean, it's really, it's a beautiful, it's so beautiful. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys, and ahead, I'll let you talk about it. Dave Williams is definitely an outsider in his own party being very radically like libertarian leaning, right. And very anti-establishment. Like if, I'm sure he probably dreams about spitting in their face or something like he's a black sheep of a Republican. So, you know, his candidate may go back on their word, but I think they would have the two prong attack from him and me like and, you know, he'll be like, well, don't cry now. <laughs> I tried to save you. So, you know, and this really only works because he is like so radical for especially a Republican. I I like him. I wish that he would realize he's not playing with the cool kids and come join the plastics. And we're the plastics, boys. <laughs> like dump your dump your trash party over there. Come join the cool kids. You got a seat at the table. You know, come join us. Nice. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say yeah one more time. I think uh, it's a great strategy. I was, uh, of course, annoyed to see people, you know, jeering you for trying something new. You know, like people that whatever the I guess usual suspects and otherwise. I was equally annoyed. There was a, a Mises Caucus like Zoom chat with Dave Smith and when Blake Masters was running and that whole thing was going down. And I was just like, I was in there and I was just like, we're the Mises Caucus, right? Everybody's going to, this is going to be cool and everybody's going to be excited about this. And he got so much shit for that. Like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, I couldn't believe I was in the room. I was like, if these people aren't down with this, well, Dave, maybe you should have ran it by Arizona before you did. I was like, well, who the, what the fuck does he owe any of you? He's one person, right? Well, you know, he kind of represents the caucus. It's like, I, I don't know, man. If you're not cool with that, like, you know, that guy was not going to win. I can't remember the libertarian that was running, but even, even he was in, ended up endorsing the guy. I don't he know if you guys out, would. didn't he? I think he yeah. did. And maybe yeah, yeah. there was coordination or whatever. Um, but I think that that was, you know, I don't know if you guys would consider that guy a liberty Republican, but I would. You know what I mean? If you're endorsed by Ron Paul, like, I don't know, man. Like, wh what else do you really what, what else do you want? I don't know. You made um, it in life. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, exactly. And people are fighting over well, it. And I, 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 just... I will be honest. If if Masters was running for candidacy in Alaska, I don't know that I would refer to him as a liberty candidate. Because well, there see, are almost always going to be, and this is sort of where the different states and where you're talking about federal versus that, but... It, over here, it's like you're always going to have a candidate that's running that's going to probably be more boisterous on the topics that he's covering than he would be. And so you, it's hard to market him as being the sort of liberty candidate in that position. But when you're talking about national stuff, it's that's a different story. Like in the party, like we can be in the most radical caucus, in the most radical party in the world, and we should keep it. Like I'm saying, sharpen the spear, the most radical thing. But when you play in the outside world, 
be a little pragmatic. Yeah. Like, that's the key. We, we will represent the banner over here, but outside man coalition with anybody where you can get anything, if you can get 2% wiggle room to control your state or like make some Republicans or Democrats think that you have power over them, absolutely take that. You won't need a hundred years to see results. You could, you know, like you, you've been elected a couple months ago. You guys are already seeing it. It's really awesome. Yeah. The haters were really annoying, but I have a I have a lot of kids, so um, <laughs> and I homeschool them all, and I don't have any family that really helps me, so um, I can ignore anything. Is basically the point I'm making. So you can never get me. You can never get me riled up. You can never outweigh me. I have more patience, um, <laughs> like, and I can ignore you. So the most brilliant thing I do for haters is just simply ignore them because if they really wanted to fight me, then meet me on my board game and we'll play. And I loved that somebody was saying I was more pragmatic than the prags. That was hilarious. Like I am not too stuck yeah. on my, like I love to laugh at myself. That was hilarious. Like, These are the people that were really great. It didn't, if you can get a Republican to come into the party and lead the entire party, they'll Wayne Allen Root or any of these guys, you know, Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, all on board. Everybody would sign up and everybody would be like, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Justin Amash, not cool until he's a libertarian. Then he's cool. If he becomes a Republican again, not cool. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just kind of silly. I just got a DM from an angry Alaskan telling me that when I mentioned Dick Randolph earlier, I didn't bring up the fact that he was also, as a libertarian back in the late 70s, the guy who repealed the state income tax in Alaska. Oh, wow. Uh, So still today, he's the reason we don't have an income tax. Oh, dude, fun fact of the evening. That's really, it's pretty awesome. Uh, Are there three states? Delaware? We don't have a... No, wait. The inco- we don't, we have, don't have sales tax. We, don't we, do, sales have tax, the, we yeah. do have the income tax. Who else doesn't have income tax? New Hampshire? I don't think Texas does. Washington, okay. I think. Nevada? Yeah, yeah Texas, Texas has, has no state income. I hear they have high property tax in Texas, but they don't have an income tax. In, in Colorado, the, the supposed libertarian uh, governor <laughs> wants to abolish the income tax, but he just he's all talking, no bite, because his... Um, the representatives are so left-leaning that even if he proposes the most, what would you call it, Hannah? Like the, the even the most remotely libertarian idea, it's going to get shot down. So he can talk all he wants and say he wants this, but it's never going to happen, and he knows it. So he's trying to pass himself off as a libertarian. There's nothing libertarian about this person. He's a radical leftist. He locked us into our homes. I was so mad that he locked uh, – I have uh, friends who are pastors, and their churches were closed down, and some of them went back. And they just had service while there was this whole, you know, fake COVID uh, hysteria. And they were fined up the wazoo for keeping their churches open. They lost their 501c3 status. Yeah, how libertarian is that, Governor Polis? That's not libertarian at all to let people practice their religion freedom in in a free way, right? Even if it is, you know, uh, whatever. There's nothing libertarian about the man. If you want, if we have any viewers who are in Colorado, living in Colorado and are electable in Colorado, um, one of the fun things about Colorado is we're a home rule state. So things we do have some control on the local level over taxes. For instance, municipalities and counties can decide whether or not they would like to have taxes on things like food. 
Um, I know that Nebraska has no food tax as well. Um, and I sometimes hop over the border for that little perk. Um, but the county south of me doesn't have a food tax as well. So that's just some fun, like libertarian things you can do on the local level in Colorado. So if you really want to win and run a strong libertarian campaign for a city council or a mayor, um, that's just one fun thing that you could do. Hector in the chat, Florida has no income tax. Yeah, Hector, I understand you have no income tax, but I can't carry a six gun on my hip there without getting accosted. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you guys got it going on in Colorado. Got Aaron Lamb, elected mayor. You guys are pestering your governor at the behest of like Spike Cohen style on Twitter, and it's great. And you have a strategy that is actually bold. And making moves. So I'm proud of you guys, and I will keep watching, and I'm going to try and implement some Colorado-style strategy around here. Ryan, help me out on that one, buddy. Um, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Let, but I, I also I got my boy in Jersey that uh, got a support as well. What's his uh, name? So I got a friend of mine. His name's Sean Peck. Um, great dude. He is running in Legislative District 2 in New Jersey. Um, he's running up against the only Republican that voted in favor of Conrad Murphy's budget. So like, not only is this guy like a Jersey Republican, which they're all shit anyway, but he's like the shittiest Jersey Republican. And it's one of those instances where like most people don't know that the election's even happening. They kind of don't necessarily care otherwise. Um, And he actually just recently filled out the application through the Mises caucus to get campaign manager, you know, all the support, uh, from the run as libertarian program. Um, yeah, he's, he's just Hell fucking yeah. rock solid on fiscal policy. Cause this is, so it, this is basically like Atlantic County. So it's like, um, where Atlantic city is and such. And, um, there's so much corruption there because of Atlantic city. And this guy was schooling me about, Murray Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises before I even knew what any of this shit was like back when I was in high school. So plant some seeds. So he's been, he's been on this shit for a while and he's, he's done really well for himself, but he needs support. Like he's just for some reason, the part of South Jersey he's in for like the LP is just kind of dead. But the Mises caucus seems to be active there. So definitely check him out. And um, yeah, I think his, uh, his website is just uh, seanpeck4nj.com. Um, he needs all the help he can get. He's already spent a significant amount of his own money on like opposition research. He's got a website, voter data, like I think at least 10K in at this point. So like he's very serious about it because he's – got a family he's got kids there and wants to be the change that we want to see so if you're in that fucking nightmare state send him some love yeah that's the Uh, thing man some people like to live where they want to live we can't all just fucking move to new hampshire i mean yeah like i don't want to like stay where you live and like yo this is where i grew up this is where i want to listen i'll take it one step i'll take it one step further if you leave your family and your friends and everything you know for new hampshire you're a dickhead how about that (laughs) (laughs) i can't leave colorado i'm a sixth generation coloradan i have seventh generation coloradan children like what a legacy right 
Yeah, Agreed. same. I can't leave it. Um, yeah, we got, you know, people got roots, man. Um, and it's not a libertarian homeland yet. If it was Ancapistan, you might have an argument, but it's just not. Um, but next to New Jersey, man, we got another hellscape, and that's New York. So we got some dudes here from New York to kind of catch us up to speed. Because something, the crowd that really hates uh, what the folks in Colorado are doing, you know what they're really big on? 50-state ballot access. And if you don't have that, then you are effed, and the whole thing is thrown out, and we just, the Mises Caucus ruined it. And I know that you guys are probably facing the the shittiest issue when it comes to ballot access and stuff. It seems like... I'll let you fill fill me in, but it was harder. It was hard a couple years ago, and now it's even harder again. Is that right? So just yeah, kind of catch us up. What's going on in New York, man? It looks like the shittiest state to live in and the hardest place to be a, a libertarian. But again, I'm, that's me thinking that everything is New York City. If you live in the sticks, I'm sure it's okay. But how's New York, dudes? I'll let Craig kick it off. He's a candidate, and you know what? Coming from a candidate, I feel like uh, the best person to explain it. Okay, I was going to let you go since you're on the executive committee. Um, yeah, the ballot access fight for, for 50 states is probably not going to happen in New York. Um, in 2022, we had to get 45,000 signatures uh, to get Larry Sharp on the ballot for governor in order to get a certain number of votes for us to have ballot access for 2024. Um, we came up about 4,000 signatures shy. Does that sound right, Justin? I think it was actually even less than that. Okay. Um, a lot we were of, a couple thousand shy. We were almost, we were almost there for a, a couple shy of 45,000, a couple, yeah, thousand, a couple shy. thousand shy. Oh yeah. man. That's, and a lot of the people actually blamed those of us that went to Reno for the takeover for not staying in New York and helping with petitioning. Um, I personally turned in over a hundred myself. Um, so I felt like I did my work on that and then went to Reno. Um, yeah, you it's, sure did. <laughs> so um, as far as as a candidate, um, it's not as bad uh, for the for an independent line. I only needed to collect 54 signatures this year. Um, but there are different strategies you can use on the local level, not exactly like Colorado is doing. Um, but here in my little city, it's only a little over 20,000 people. But um, our former chair, uh, Nick Grasso, is actually an elected city council person. Um, he actually changed parties to Democrat to get reelected. And there's another libertarian who changed to Republican in a different district. And I'm running an independent candidate, a two-way race against a Republican um, incumbent who's not really well liked. So we have a legitimate shot of having three libertarian on city council of a council of six. So um, there are other strategies to impact your local cities, towns, counties, um, maybe not state level in a place like New York yet. But if we can get this done, we're going to make some waves in New York, upstate New York, anyway. That's so, so on, on, on that. one city council, three three libertarians mm-hmm. that wow, be registered cool. as a Republican and Democrat, and then right, me right, as right. a libertarian. But they were all all three of us were in the Libertarian Party last year. So, <laughs> so what's in, I what I find is just so starkly standing out to me is that you guys are finding a really effective, hopefully, and creative way of getting and staying on ballots and getting elected. So that, to me, proves that we don't necessarily, like, this may sound harsh and cold, but I don't mean it in this way at all. Um, we don't necessarily need 
ballot access in all 50 states, like especially where it's really hard for you guys and you guys lose it all the time. There's other things we could do cheaply and more effectively and more efficiently to get elected. I love that. I just that's amazing. Thank you. It's still not cheap either. And if anybody wants to donate to my campaign, votecallwell.com. <laughs> Hell yeah. Justin, you want to add anything, man? Yeah. So, so here's what happened. You know, we go back a few more years. We actually did get Larry on the ballot. Larry had a pretty impressive performance, all things considered, um, for the gubernatorial race in 2018. Right. Okay. And the New York state legislator legislature, as they do everything in New York, we don't craft laws. We don't go any through like real, you know, process. Everything is done in the context of a budget as a budget writer. Mm -hmm. At the very last moment, what they went ahead and decided to do was increase the threshold from 15,000 signatures up to 45,000 signatures. We used to have almost two months to go ahead and get all of those 15,000 signatures in the middle of summer during fair season. Um, just so many more things leaned our way, you know, in a better way. Now they moved it to the end of winter, the beginning of spring, just before we have the national convention, essentially. that I think in 2022, the last day of petitioning was like the first day of Reno, pretty much. Um, so we have you know, a little over a month now to get three times the amount of signatures. And there's some other tricky caveats with how you have to go ahead and get them and everything else. But it's just absolutely patently absurd. And, you know, there's no saying that even if we did go ahead and get on the ballot um, in 2024, um, that A, we would stay there. We need 130,000 votes or 2%, whichever is higher. That's also another kind of big thing to try to hit. Um, yeah. Obviously, you have a better shot in you know a, a presidential year than a gubernatorial year, but you know that didn't really happen under the Jorgensen campaign. <laughs> uh, you know, wh- there's no there's no telling the way that they've done things in New York, and the Dems just have a absolute lockdown on everything at the above county level in the state it's just patently absurd the amount of power that they wield and the gop is damn near inept in most places Uh, layton are you the only are you the only representative from a state that isn't completely controlled by democrats and the republicans play power bottom and that's that's basically the the scenario that we're all living in for all across the country, Maryland, Delaware, New York, California. It's just, that's insane. I would, I would say what Alaska has that other places at this point don't is that our sort of political culture is stunted uh, historically just because we haven't been a state for very long. There's a very small population, and that population lives sort of stretched apart. So you don't have this sort of one city's government affecting another city's government and the sort of domino effect of law that happens a lot in um, higher populated areas. 
So here it, it really is that even the people who are Democrats and Republicans are not the worst of the Democrats and Republicans, because right. in general, there's, you know, even the Democrats here all own guns and trucks. And, you know, so it's like you sort of run into this uh, situation where it's like, yeah, the, the Democrats and Republicans aren't are, who are up here, who are from here are typically not the problem. Um, there's, you know, the death nail for any candidate in the state of Alaska is being attributed with another state. So if you come here and you attempt to run for any political office and you're tied to another state, you might as well just not run because you're not going to get elected. Have you guys uh, noticed that at the local here, level too? I've noticed that. If you don't, if you're not from the place where you're running and you're not from there for a long time, that's like... A serious deal breaker. I don't know, like, you know, we, I'm sure we're political animals and we think like, oh, you know, are they into this or this cultural preference? Like, were you born here? How long's your family been here? Like, well, that's so really... Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin, for instance, uh, ran, became governor of the entire state of Alaska at one point. Uh, and she actually did some things that some Alaskans, especially on the Republican side, did like her for. Um, but she made a fatal error, which was when she left office... She then decided to go to Arizona and run for office in Arizona. And so then when she returned to Alaska, everybody in the state rejected her and she was seen as a complete charlatan. Um, you know, now in the opposite spectrum, you have somebody like Joe Vogler back in the day uh, made a documentary about him. Um, and, and Joe Vogler uh, created the Alaskan Independence Party in the 70s. He's from Kansas. But he moved to Alaska during World War II, and he built a legacy here that by the 70s and 80s cemented in some actual political movement. Um, it took him legitimately that long for people really to even notice him because he wasn't from the state of Alaska. People just didn't care. Um, and, and, you know, now that's, I, I would say, leaving some of the, the bigger high, high population areas like Anchorage and Fairbanks. But once you leave those major cities and you go outside of them, it's it's all the same thing. It's it's people who are like, eh, if you're from the lower 48, you're just sort of written off. Like, well, that's like it's like Texas Aaron, attitude. Cool. Aaron Lamb live Keensburg is it's a little bigger than Holyoke, okay, <laughs> but not by a whole lot. I think they have like two or three stoplights, whereas I just have one. So. He is, My town I'm, has zero. <laughs> I'm the county seat. I'm the only stoplight in the county, though. So, but Aaron Lamb um, is actually, I want to say he's from like Washington or Oregon, somewhere up there. And he hasn't been in Keensburg that long. What really won him, I think, that election was door knocking. So I would highly recommend that, especially if you're not from an area, right? Everyone knows me because we're unrelated to them. So that's, I mean, I should still door knock, but it's less important. But if you're not known in that area, it really speaks volumes to the success of door knocking i mean i guess in young americans for liberty show us all door the time knocking effectively. door knocking in alaska can be a dangerous proposition here you're gonna get shot if you roll up on someone's farm <laughs> but you know there's i guess you could call them towns holyoke is a good proper town <laughs> nothing else is I just pictured my old neighbors where I grew up and somebody in like you know, a little Hyundai Passat rolls up and tries to go talk about politics. 
Door, door knocking it would be and, colorful. <laughs> door knocking and collecting signatures because I went to like four different states during the old regime, during the Jorgensen, during the whole like we have to get 50 ballot access. So I, I was in Maryland because we were trying to get ballot access back in Maryland. So I was getting paid by the LP. And then once we got the number, they were like, all right, go to Pennsylvania. So I'm like, cool, that's my home state. Like, I'll just visit my parents for a week. I'm unemployed at the moment. It's COVID, you know, I'll get out. Pennsylvania went to Virginia for a minute. Then, then like last minute got sent up to new uh, fucking Rhode Island. It's like, well, when's the, when are, the, when are these signatures due? And they're like Friday. I'm like, for fuck's sakes. It's a, it's a Sunday night. Like I got to figure out like, this is so last minute, you know, it's like, what the fuck's going on at the local level? But, but going back, just going door knocking and talking to people, some of the people you talk to, it's fucking hilarious. Like, uh, we were door, <laughs> I was door knocking for a Mises candidate in the Philadelphia suburbs, uh, Mark Pizzacco, and knocked on this door, Black Lives Matter, and this fucking older white woman answers the door and talks to my girlfriend, who happens to be black, help, like, just hanging out. It's like, first question out of her mouth, is the candidate black? It's like, what the fuck? Like, some of the stories out there, door knocking... Yeah, it's hilarious. So, but yeah, there's something to be said about like, is it worth this 50 state ballot access? You know? No. So or, or just or just look at the energy spent. Like, dude, right. you know, forty five thousand yeah. signatures. How yeah, much other stuff could you do with that time and energy yes. and all the resources and all that stuff? And it's is it more now? Is it more than forty five thousand this year coming up? Or is that it? No, that's it. Okay. That's a lot. Um, yeah, that's it for now. Yeah, for now. You know, and the off chance that we actually go ahead and surpass that, it's damn near a promise that they'll just go ahead and move it up again because we've taken them to court. We've gone out literally as far as we can. We're waiting to be heard potentially by the Supreme Court um, in a case with the Green Party, who is also impacted in this. And, you know, beyond that, like legally speaking, there's just not a hell of a lot we can do. We've made every pitch and appeal that we possibly can. And the courts in New York are all, you know, just Democratic shills that have been appointed for the most part. And, you know, there's no there's no getting around it. So maybe we took over the National Party, right, to change the way that things are done and. Is ballot like so? Say you guys get ballot access, right? Just magically, ta-da, you got it. Um, and all the money that that costs, right? Are you guys actually going to have a candidate that wins an election like higher than your local government, right? Is that is that money well spent? Are we sure? Like, does the national board have KPIs? Are they tracking those? Are they hitting those? Are they adjusting those? No. So would that would in your guys' opinion, would you have success running a candidate with, if you had ballot access? So we just elected a a new board, pretty much entirely minus one or two people um, in the fall. And we really went on a divergent strategy from, you know, the traditional chase ballot access up and down, throw money at the problem kind of thing. You know, we've reached a epic level of um, burnout with volunteers and people in our state. You know, COVID chased a lot of people out. The cost of everything chased a lot of people out. The people that are still here have been busting their ass for years trying to get things accomplished and gotten absolutely nowhere. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, a lot of them have just dropped out because they're like, I don't see a, 
I don't see a a real endpoint to this when we keep playing the same game over and over again. So what we're really concentrating on right now is rebuilding from the ground up, focusing on hyper-local candidates, and um, making the party of New York more of a social movement than a political party. So I love that you've definitely pivoted because National doesn't seem to be pivoting off this issue. Um, And I really would like to see them pivot off of this issue because what I'm hearing is that strategy is chasing people away. So can we afford to be losing people? I mean, they're always talking about, oh, the National membership is down. Well, perhaps we should look at why they're leaving. Is this a reason why people are leaving? Is this why membership is down? Is this why fundraising is down? So I'm hearing problems and I'm, and I'm also like seeing the effects of certain things. And I'm literally looking at them as a chair myself. And I really would just like to bring everyone's attention to the national strategy and a lot of flack that they're getting. And they feel like they have to, you know, dance to the beat of this drum that's being set, not realizing they can just throw the drum across the damn river. Um, so that's really interesting. I'm sorry. I just like spewed that whole thought no out. no but that that's so that's really awesome. fair it's it's like work with what you got right if you don't have ballot access what else you got right what you got swing whatever you got that's basically like the message here like if you've got four percent of the vote that you could swing somehow you're to benefit the candidates fantastic if you don't have ballot access we have other strategies that you can employ right like doing something that's fantastic um, but to sit idly by and fight for something because that was the old boomer way of doing things, I personally do not think that is the best strategy. It's not the best use of our time. It's going to demoralize a lot of people um, if it hasn't already, right? So, um, again, I think the Mises Caucus is so it's so special because people here like to try new things. We're trying new things, right, with the Mises Caucus. Uh, we took over the party. Now let's try these crazy things. I don't know. Any Anything is better than nothing at this point, right? Absolutely anything. You guys want to have a, I don't know, a fundraiser to throw chicken brains off a, a I don't know, off of a, a off of a, a, an airplane with like messages? I don't know, like whatever, right? Anything's better than nothing at this point. Um, and, I, and I think the Mises Caucus has enough creativity to where you guys can definitely pull forward with a really good strategy. Like something, I'm, something solid. I'm super excited to see your strategy and yes. how that changes the what you get like how that changes something are you going to get more people back engaged um how is that social movement going to go that's super fun right like i think that's an incredible strategy um running people under different party like i'm all for that like yeah um that's i'm sure plenty of people are going to go and have a conniption fit right now on twitter which by the way good luck i don't read twitter uh-huh. um so they're they're going to be like oh the colorado chair thinks that we should run people under a different party labels yeah i do let's try it i would new hampshire do does i'll be a dino yeah. i'll be a dino i'll be yeah, a why not? yeah i won't actually because i'm the chairman but you know i'm sure we could find people that are just like down like that like yeah why not um so i really hope that yeah. you guys as bad as it is in new york like i just heard a message of hope from you guys so yeah. super, super uh, cool I'm excited. This is guerrilla guerrilla warfare. This is not civil war style, you know, fighting with just being in a line and shooting at each other and then the person yeah. that gets knocked down, right? This is not that. Right. And the people that they, they talk the loudest because they think it's that. And it's like, no, if you guys keep doing that, you're gonna lose a lot more people. 
mm-hmm. re-strategize it. You got to figure out the new technology, leverage the heck out of that. Right. Uh, you want to run infiltration? Oh, fantastic. I'm all for it. I, I'm, I'm excited for New York. I hope you guys are, are as excited as we're excited because we're excited. Hannah, you feel that? We're excited. We're excited yeah. for New York. Now we're going to start standing awesome. New York everywhere. Sorry. Is, is, there a, is there an effort being led right now in New York to maintain ballot access? Um, actually, there is something of an effort to the opposite. Um, the state committee had um, approved a resolution to explicitly, as of right now, to not expend financial resources in the 2024 election in regards to ballot access. We are concentrating on local races. Mr. Sharp is trying to raise money for it, though. Yeah. Say that one more time. Larry Sharp is trying to raise money and do it without our help. See, this is what I kind of have a feeling, and I've heard, like, musings of this. Um, So Larry is trying to raise money to get 45,000 signatures? Is that his goal? Yeah. He wants to – I think he wants to step out there with, like, 250-something thousand along those lines. Um, to go ahead and have enough money for the petitioning effort and for the campaign effort. Now, the, so he's running you know, a campaign. He's running for governor. And he is not running a campaign. He is, no. uh, in his words, he's not running a campaign. He just wants ballot access lined up because he feels if we do not get ballot access this year, it is impossible to run a gubernatorial campaign in 2026 while you're also trying to compete for ballot access. So, so he's he wants the ballot campaign. access and them run. <laughs> free market competition. So Larry Sharp can go out and seek in the market what he thinks is a good thing, right? And we're not, the thing about a free market is you're not guaranteed your outcome, right? You have the right to go search for it. But if it doesn't exist or you can't get it, oh, well, like that's a free market. So, and you guys are doing a different strategy. So that's going to be really fun. That's like an A-B sort of testing. Um, We can see where people like, where people really stand with that. And that's actually really cool. So I would say that if people think that ballot access is super, super important, they should go donate to Larry Sharp's fundraising effort for this, right? But if they think that you guys have a much better winning strategy, they should go donate to your guys' LP. You guys should do a competition yeah. like that. I they definitely should. I, yeah. I'll be honest, though. I do take issue with that. I feel like, you know, Maybe his focus has shifted a little bit away from the Libertarian Party and more towards just third party politics or, you know, ballot access issues and things like that. And as I would call somebody who's a standard bearer, I mean, his name still gets thrown out to like run for president or vice president. Um, He hosts presidential debates. We're going to talk about that in a second. But like I I kind of it just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. I'll be perfectly honest with you that um, if. The people of New York, you know, you guys are representing the, the board and, and in, in other capacities running for office and things. For you to kind of use your your soapbox to go, look at what I'm doing. I'm raising money for this, New York, and it's worth your time and energy. It kind of can suck the whole conversation, like the air out of the room, and I don't appreciate it. So I'll just say that right now. I would okay. say that that sounds a little bit like a grift at this point heading into 2026 he's talking about. This is just my personal opinion. And I don't, uh, Larry got, I I supported him. I was really excited in 2018, but he came in fourth place in New York behind the Green Party. So it's like, okay, I'm hip to a wake up call, man. Like, don't, 
we tried something that wasn't the thing because you're not even in third place in New York. So it's like, this isn't the thing. So don't ask people to go out and spend thousands of hours to get tens of thousands of signatures when you could be doing cool shit like supporting Craig, getting city councils filled up and, uh, you know, maybe mimicking some of the things that are going on in Colorado. I don't know. That's one of those things that I, I talk about a little bit on my show and I have before is sort of the national versus state issue and something that I've said over and over is that I feel like the resources of the the national party structure as a vehicle would be far better used individually targeting states to increase the level of liberty that they have. Uh, I don't think that the uh, the free state movement thing works in the way that ultimately I view as being successful yet. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who do view it that way, and I've said basically the reason behind that is culture. It has nothing to do with the politics that everybody quotes and talks about. I mean, the reality is I think everybody on this call understands Rothbard, understands Mises, has an understanding of these politics uh, and the beliefs behind them. But the reality is, is like, that doesn't really mean much uh, in the grand scale of things. And that's something that I've noticed with resource allocation is, you know, you, you have states that, and a, not to use my own state as an example, but there are many states like this where you have a small population that is, again, sort of, in these very easily to infiltrate cities that have lower populations within those even smaller cities. And uh, it seems like those are places that are keen to be sort of having resources put into candidates, localized candidates, but the national party doesn't really seem to do that and hasn't for really 30, 40 years from what I can tell historically um, from what I've looked through. So it becomes sort of a, a weird scenario where, you know, yeah, in this c- case, you've got a candidate who's trying to do this on his own with Larry Sharp. And, and I almost go, yeah, well, perfect scenario for this would be, well, yeah, the LP themselves raises their money in that state. And then if the national party wants to step in and give resources to him, they can. Uh, now, you might not want that to happen. I probably would say that shouldn't. But at the same time, that could be an option. And I think that that's something that doesn't really get thrown around at all it's it's sort of just a dead topic especially on like on the internet when i'm looking at like discourse on twitter and stuff and you know just one of the things that's kind of curious about this whole thing and i'm sure it wasn't intentionally done but now because of the timeline shift for where our petitioning season is putting it before a national convention this this also puts us in a further bind because we have to run a paper candidate for yeah. petitioning, yeah, we have we know we're going to substitute him because we haven't selected a national uh, national candidate at that point for president. So you know he's afforded the opportunity, I guess, in some ways um, to go ahead and do this. But you know he's also expressed the fact that you know I I would say rightly to some degree in his mind, if he doesn't like the national candidate, he may not go ahead and back off that line and hand it over. He said if Jorgensen, uh, you know, if there's another Jorgensen moment, he's not going to budge off it. Hmm. So we'll be in a really sticky place at that point. And it definitely hurts my heart, too. Like, I'm a libertarian because of Larry Sharp. I came to the party because of his 2018 campaign. Uh, He's a friend of mine. He's a mentor. He's the reason he's the one who really got me to run for office the first time. So, like... 
I have saying, I, he's the reason that dragged <laughs> me out of the out of the realm of this being in ideology and like a social club kind of thing to like, Oh, this is like a political thing to actually, that I should go ahead and get involved in. You know, he did that for me and he did that for many people in New York. And it's just kind of a shame that, you know, everything is just all upside down and sure. No one person is at fault for any of this, but like to some degree, let's make our lives as easy as we can be. Yeah. And I know we're all individualists, man, but you know, I'd say this to the guys in New Hampshire and Larry Sharp too. It's like, we are kind of playing this collective game though, a little bit, right? Like, so it's like, maybe listen to your people in New York, Larry Sharp, who are, you know, you're part of the team. You're not just star quarterback or something like that. I don't know. Run it by your, your squad. That's what I'd say. And that was something that, you know, the executive committee was a little miffed on is that, there was zero dialogue with us when he started announcing this almost immediately after, um, after his, his, you know, race from 2022 and, you know, his race for 22, his writing campaign wasn't particularly good. And how he in campaign, what a waste of time. I'm sorry. Cross the board, write in campaign. What the fuck are we doing? Write in campaigns are fake and (laughs) gay. (laughs) So dumb. And And the way he put his lieutenant governor candidate is a, you know, all those other down ballot candidates in 2022 too. He pretty much said, just trust me. Just let me have carte blanche. I'm working deals with other parties. That's going to get us there. So like he he kind of screwed over the state committee. Running a write in campaign is, Ridiculous. It's crazy. I write. I write in. I write in Ron Paul every year for Congress, but I don't like. I'm not actively out there. Like, hi, I'm so and so. I'm your write-in candidate. What a fucking waste of time. Oh on. my god, that's so in his like, my name's Romney. Write me in in 2024. In his defense, he did have to go ahead and do that. Slam. So we fought in court to get the essentially the petitioning effort that was just narrowly missed. You know, we got disqualified <laughs> on the spot there. And, you know, we fought in court for the next several months back and forth. So along that line, you, you know, he still felt the need, you know, to go ahead and keep campaigning. So I, I understand why he did it, you know, but writing campaigns are rough. I, that being said, we did have a mayor of a major city in New York win her, win her campaign on a writing campaign, if you can believe that. Buffalo, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Whoa. That's some crazy shit. It does happen. But he, yeah, was doing, he was doing write-in campaign for governor, right? Yes, for governor. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, we shouldn't even... <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. But if it's terrible uh, in states like Tennessee, the guy had to do that in Tennessee, too. Because it's just like some of these states are just ridiculous. So... Just allocating resources. What are we doing? I know, man. It's like right out of the CIA playbook, though. Just keep <laughs> us spinning, right? Keep us just filling out the things and debating keep, each other. And this keep just, sending the Sarwarks to convention. To, ah, Jesus! Yeah, <laughs> right out of their playbook. That's assault, brother. When, when I first got vice chairman, uh, one of my we were, it was like a mostly me board, right? And one of the guys sent me because I had sent him an email. He sent me a screenshot, and it was my name and Nick Sarwarks. Or it was my picture in Nick Starwark's name. So they had never got rid of the Nick Starwark <laughs> on the vice chairman um, account. And I was like, what the heck? Ah, it was Can we horrible. get an update? <laughs> but have you seen um, him uh, cut a tree? Oh, man. Nope. 
that that poor sapling. They go to Dave's uh, (laughs) Twitter page. Yeah, you got to check that out. It's fun. Mm. I'll I'll remix that guy anytime. Um, So, yeah, New York, anything else to add? I wanted to talk about, I mean, Larry was my parlay into the libertarian presidential candidate selection. That's the last thing on the docket for tonight. Um, But... Yeah, he, he popped back up on my radar because he hosted some presidential debates, which I thought was, again, that rubbed me the wrong way because who are you, man? Like, I don't know. Who, who agreed with these, that these guys are candidates? You're kind of elevating them to a certain level personally. I thought that that was just in bad form um, because, you know, who are these people? And who said that they should represent us? I'm big on representation. That's why, you know, I'm a big Dave Smith fan, Spike Cohen. I feel comfortable when these guys are out there delivering that shit on my behalf. But if, you know, Mike Termot goes on Vouch to like 200,000 people, those people don't know what the Libertarian Party has going on. They just see this guy who looks like Gary Johnson, who's doing the same thing and giving the same answers. And that pisses me off. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. So he's, he put out a couple debates. We have a couple candidates out there. Um, I, I'm not going to remember everybody's name, but there's Mike Termot. Uh, Lars Mapstead, I think is his name. Um, and maybe one or two other guys. Uh, Chase Oliver. Oh, J- Chase Jesus. Oliver. Jacob Hornberger, right, is back in the game. He's been is very he? suspicious. Jacob yeah. is in the game, suspiciously quiet. Wow. Um, we interviewed him at the rage rally, Dave. Uh, he ducked That's... me there, bro. He ran to the bathroom. <laughs> right. But uh, well, yeah, at least you know. he's staying quiet this year. Yeah, it's, it's kind of bizarre. If you're going to run for president, you know, you should. Or his mom, there. he said, Rodriguez, which is the guy that was running out of Colorado. <laughs> yes. yes. This guy was what? Tell me about this guy. Yeah. So he was hosted on Larry Sharp, and we try to get in touch with him and be like, hey, we've got a lot of red flags, so you're not going to run for president. So technically the way that it works, right, you can run for president without, like, going through your state. But guess what? Colorado has a lot of delegates. Um, do you guys remember in Reno the uh, Joshua Smith vote and how fun that was? Well, that was the caliphate in action because we noted him. We sure did. Oh. So that's why there were so many rounds on vice chairman in Reno. So the caliphate is a force to be reckoned with, right? If we don't know you, you're not going to get any support from us. We are not going to give you any nomination. You you have to come and you have to kiss my sword or, you know, campaign to me. That's that's the way things work, right? Um, and me being a delegate, right? I anticipate I'll be a delegate at national. So... Joshua Rodriguez, we didn't know him. We've never seen him. We've never heard anything from him. Um, his website, Joshua for Unity. Well, you know, Red flag. My, my team, they do their, their research, you know, for his mommy. She'll find out everything about you and other people will also who are equally talented. That's right. He did send a thing to volunteer for her campaign. That's right. Um, so we found out that he has some criminal charges, which in my book doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. Um, what kind of charges like selling drugs on the corner or you like, I don't know, murdering people. Like there is like lines, right? Um, so he has been accused of some sort of fraud and, um, like, identity theft and things like that. I guess he was accused of stealing from shelters with his nonprofit during 2020. So I'll leave that up for the straight to Gitmo. (laughs) Like so that and um in my opinion he's on the run. I know what that looks like. Um so 
you know, he's absconded. He's at large essentially from those charges and he's quote trying to run for president, but he's run for all kinds of things under other parties. He's just like a hood hopper is what I would call him. He's hopping hoods. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, Lucy's a consistent fraudster. You know, he pretends to be a libertarian and, you know, somebody, as somebody who's a grandmother who was, uh, legitimately uh, a fraudster herself um i i um if he's getting if any of those charges are relating to saying he was using somebody else's name which sort of what it sounds like it's kind of hard to get that charge unless you actually did it in my experience <laughs> that one specifically is pretty difficult to get stuck on you <laughs> so yeah, and, and, and what sucks is like a simple google search of the guy would have resulted in a lot of this kind of stuff I don't know. And, and you know, one thing that was really frustrating, I think of Larry Sharp as one of my heroes, honestly, in the liberty movement. But it was really frustrating that some of us paid money so that we can get a super chat going. And then he neutered the questions. Right. And we were just like, what the heck? Like, why would he like he really, really edited them to be as sweet as pie. Um, and some of the stuff I think Forrest Mommy had asked some really tough questions. And then his whole thing is, hey, we asked the tough questions here, right, in the presidential debate. And I'm like, hell yeah, that's Larry Sharp's thing. And then when it came to her question, he was like, so what's going on in Colorado? And we're like, that's not even what the question says, dude. It's uh, literally talking about his fraud charges and all these things. And all this guy said was like, oh, they're treating me like Trump. Get out of here, bro. Treating you like Trump, like falsely accusing that's him. That's a red flag. Treating you like Hillary Clinton, more like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, as, as far as, you know, from an outsider over here uh, in Alaska, not sort of involved as much in the national stuff, um, I view the two candidates as that I've seen get the sort of attention that I see as really being in the discussion uh, as um, Matt Termott and Chase Oliver, um, so far at least. Um, neither of them of which I like. So it sort of puts me in a an interesting position. I, I feel like uh, I, I was one of the first people to voice this uh, on my show. But, um, you know, the idea that the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party is going to be a cop is just asinine to me. It's ludicrous. Um, and, and to me is absolutely fucking insane from a from a perspective of public persona, not even a reformed cop. Uh, like, yo, I was a cop for a long time. No, like a so literal sorry. cop, like, yeah, yeah, like an actual and just cop. Like, so. Dude, he gave me yeah. so many Fed vibes at Reno, and because uh, we were held kind of like we, because okay. like the elevator line was so fucking long, and his table was right there, right. and I was like, God damn it, I just want to get to my room, but I felt like I was taken hostage so, by him, and he was know, just yeah, like, Oh, you're, you're, he's like, I'm in Northern Virginia, and I'm like. You're in the Maryland. Red flag. You're on the Maryland board. Like I'm like Northern Virginia. You're a fucking spook right off the bat. Like you're a yep. Fed. You know, like right off the bat. You know. So I'm like, oh, man, he comes around to all the local things because you know he's in our area, Dave. And you know, it's like he goes comes out to a though. lot of conventions, but yeah, he's putting himself out there to like Hannah's point. Like he's trying to like, but it's like. Dude, Gary Johnson vibes, you know? Well, it's like, so here's the thing. I'm not a Gary Johnson guy. I wasn't around during his real rise and that whole, like the, that whole shenanigans. Um, I sort of came in right after that. And so everybody kept sort of equating him to Gary Johnson. So I went back and watched some clips and sort of tried to learn up as much as that goes. And I do see the resemblance of the way they carry themselves and speak to uh, people. The thing for me was it's like, I've watched now three shows uh, where this guy has attempted to address 
Um, by the way, two of those shows, the question was being asked by me in the chat, being like, why don't you see this as being a problem? Like, Because from my perspective, I'm going, forget us, right? The libertarians who are active, who know what's going on, who have an understanding of these intricate kind of political ideas. Those aren't the majority of libertarians. The majority yes. of libertarians who are registered libertarians are people who are sitting at their homes who believe in sort of this idea of liberty, and a lot of them come from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And the idea of putting a cop in charge of the the, the presidential race, it, it, to me, is like mind-boggling. Like, are you just trying to turn every single one of those people off? Like, it's just, uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So where's the Mises Caucus um, person for running for president? Yeah, what the F? Where Listen, are they? I'm telling you, this is where we can air it out. I'm not. Look, I hate so, to think that it's all dependent on a guy. I was really counting on Dave Smith. I don't know if he's going to be the guy. Yeah. I'm not oh, saying okay. he has to be, but it should. We should I'm have wondering. a guy out there right now who's declared, even if he knew, hey, I'll I'll get out if somebody really great gets in. But I, I have a take on this, be. but I'm going to let you guys go first because I got to use the restroom. Go ahead. So, so at, at, this is going to sound like the most anti-libertarian thing that I'm ever going to say, but I don't care. At what point can we bully Dave Smith into running? Honestly, like, what do I need to do? Like, like I thought after the Reno reset, it was like pretty clear yeah. that he was probably going to be the front candidate. And then now it's like that we don't even have a Mises person. Like, what in the heck are we doing if we can't even – what do we need to do? Do we need to threaten him? Do we need to, like, petition for him? Like, what What, what do you guys Here's my, Here's my take. If, if we can't get Dave, and he is by far and away – and I, by the way, I got to tell this to all my picks. I told Dave. Bro, you don't have to run for president, but it would just be so much cooler if you did. So, like, if you, but if he chooses not to, man, I'm not going to hold that against him. He's got a family and other shit and career. It's like, sure. I get it, but I kind of was thinking that that was going to be the way. But I think Spike could do the damn thing. I think Shane Hazel could do the damn thing. Even Jeremy Kaufman could probably do the damn thing. And I like what the idea of. I like the idea of Maj Ture as a as a VP candidate. That's yeah. just I think that he would be a great compliment and uh, a cool dude. But um, yeah, the fact that we don't have anybody out there right now, kind of like leading the charge, it feels like there's been, there's like a vacuum. Um, and I can't believe that like at the front of it is Chase and Mike Termont. Chase doesn't even, to be perfectly honest, the only reason he's there is because he was in that runoff. But to yeah. be perfectly oh, honest, yeah. the only reason he Look, the only reason that was a story is because they voted for the third box, not because Chase right. Oliver is awesome. And it's the same thing that yeah, happened with yeah, Shane. Yeah. Shane. Shane happens yeah. to be awesome, but he got to be in that runoff and he got to you know, boost the name of the party and himself because that's their yeah. rules. I, I can't Re remember what it is in Georgia, but really like quick. Look, yeah. I want to send a quick shout out to Kara Smith. She's actually one of the founders of the Christian Caucus of the Libertarian Party. And she has a petition right now where you can sign it to ask Dave Smith to run. Just putting it out there. That's so I've I, I, seen that. I think at this point, and I, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think at this point, because the caucus has not put up a presidential candidate yet, and because they didn't focus on this for the last two, three, four months, I think they've already almost shot themselves in the foot too much. I think it almost puts you in a perspective, in a position where you might just be better off not running anybody at this point because anybody you do put up is going to be facing a mountain of problems because they haven't been involved in any of this. For instance, uh, you know, 
LP National hasn't done much with Alaska. There isn't much involvement from them reaching over the aisle. There's not much of that. So them putting up a national candidate for president isn't going to entice many people, whether they're LP members or not over here. Um, and, and whether they're no matter who the national candidate is. So, right. The, so the caucus putting somebody up just doesn't really, doesn't matter to them. Uh, and so that's sort of where I'm looking at it from my perspective, but from a larger perspective, I go, yeah, you would have had to have gotten this done two, three months ago. Uh, and I think that's sort of the problem where everybody sort of waited with bated breath for Dave to run. And I sort of told people behind closed doors and my, my own sort of opinion on it was that if this is going to be done, it's got to be done now. And then the next month I'd say the same thing. And then the next month I'd say the same thing. And so. Then I suppose that it should be a responsibility of the National Mises Caucus Board to be very clear and let people like us know. Like, I, I want to know if there is or not. I don't want to sit around guessing. I don't have that kind of time because I'm, you know, busy, right? Like, we're, we're all busy crushing it. Like, so <laughs> tell us what's up. I just really would like to have some clarification around where this, yeah. where someone to run for us is. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't make a difference outside the party. But guess what? The presidential candidate is going to be the face and the voice of our party to bunches of people that have never even heard of us before. So, so we need to have something super radical and super based. I, I agree. Here's just my opinion. And, and just I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't give you guys a lot of background. I studied political science and philosophy, so I'm pretty much worthless. I did, however, study under a Democrat in for political science. And one of the stuff, one of the things that I did learn from them was, number one, timing. It's really hard to time when you declare for somebody to run. Right. But usually, typically, if you have a candidate that runs early, they can jump on getting a lot of more a lot more donations. Right. I still think that if the Mises caucus is going to run someone, the time is definitely within the next maybe couple of months, maybe one or two months, because you can capitalize on probably uh, uh, Kennedy uh, losing a little bit of media attention, Vivek losing a little bit of media attention. And when you have this third party person, whether it be Dave or hopefully Clint or, you know, somebody running, um, the media can definitely get behind this new story of there's a third party that's really strong, you know, blah, 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 and probably give them a little bit more media attention. So, so it might be a little late. I don't know. It depends on the timing, but I still think that if we do it within the next couple months, we could still capitalize on a lot of the, uh, on at least some media attention that comes up. Can, can I say, mention something among, <clears throat> look, it would be great for a few reasons. One, uh, and so if he doesn't run, I understand, but um, his ability to debate. Now, he ba debates people from the low end to the upper end all the time. And that is important because, as we've talked about with some of these other fraudsters you mentioned, Joe Jorgensen on uh, Patrick Bet David was an embarrassment. Uh, and these people will go out and they need to be able to, and unfortunately, you know, Chase or whomever these others are, uh, we would like to have someone from our side to, to push this. Uh, I do like Clint. I've seen some of his debates. I think he does fine, but it's a different animal to go out and debate people who aren't necessarily in your own sphere. And so um, they, he needs to be doing this over. I saw his debate with Destiny, and I'm friends with Clint. I like him, but I didn't think it was outstanding. Um, you know, he he needs to work on so. So the point is, you've got really Spike Cohen and or Dave Smith, and I don't really know who else 
that for me would uh, push the boundaries and, and have a name out there and be able to not make the mistakes Aleppo or what have you yeah. over and over that then just puts egg on your face. Now, I enjoy the troll more than anybody, but uh, I'm tired of Vermin Supreme as an example of being a kind of a, a face of this party. I got to say, Vermin perfect. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. No, it's cool, man. I just, I kind of wanted to just echo what you were saying about maybe the Mises caucus. If it's not Dave, to maybe like kind of embrace the decentralized revolution manifesto, focus local. Because if it, the next best thing I, is unquestionably Spike Cohen. Like that guy is a creation of the LP. He came out of the LP. He stayed in the LP. He started You Are the Power, so he's got his own thing. So you could kind of just give him a nod and go, yeah, he's great. We we like Spike. So I'll like take a I'll take a little bit of a different as, uh, approach on that. I think that Spike's great. I think Dave's both both of them are great. I think at the same time, uh, if you're going to sort of just pick somebody to pick somebody and see how things go and just do it to kind of do it, I think you'd almost be better off picking somebody that's almost out of the wheelhouse entirely and trying something different trying to find either a celebrity, which is something I know a lot of people have talked about, finding somebody with very good name recognition. Uh, Shannon in the chat just mentioned uh, Judge Napolitano. Um, Maybe not him, but a character like that, somebody who's been in media, somebody who's been in politics for a while, or just has a name that people recognize in general. If you could do something like that, I think you'd be uh, trying something that hasn't been done in a while, or at least not really at all from a caucus perspective. Um, can I ask but, you guys? Can I ask you guys? I know, like I've heard that name too. Judge Knapp floated, and I think that would be he would obviously he's brilliant. And he would represent us well. But do you think? And definitely would probably fit in more with the Mises crowd, right? Who do you think would draw more people into the Libertarian Party? Would it be Spike or? Or who would you like to get behind? I'll ask that too. Like, would you get behind Spike over if, Judge Knapp? Or? If, if it was between Knapp or Spike, I would have to be honest and say, if we're talking about who I think is going to bring more people in, I think Napolitano had a very successful show that had a very core demographic of people in that age bracket of 40 to 60, which also happened to be a lot of the same people today who are sort of politically homeless. Because both of their parties that they used yeah, to be members of shifted so they're getting ready to collect their so benefit far. checks too, man. So yeah, that's that's, that's yeah. the tricky that's the tricky game you're they're playing. They're all maxing out. But, 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 yeah. you know, some, something you have to keep in mind with these with these elections is that people are are they look at candidates as investments, right? And that's a weird thing about elections. You look at candidates and you're looking at what the future is going to look like. And in my opinion, if you had like a combo, Judge Knapp and Spike, um, yeah, or or, or somebody yeah. super based, right? I but think that would the bring biggest, more people in. Sorry, the biggest question I have right now at this point is this conversation that we're all having right now, where we're talking about what the caucus should be doing and the candidates they should be putting up. That should have been going on three months ago with all of the people here, plus another two hundred talking about this and formulating okay. some kind of plan. And what I keep seeing happen again and again, and this is not just the Mises caucus, this is national party, um, is that states are getting ignored, small issues are getting ignored, and national issues, big issues seem to be taking the center stage, which is fine for a while to get some views and eyes and people like that. But you're not going to gain membership off of that, and you're certainly not going to become fans or have grow some fan bases in other states uh decentralized however that may be 
because those people just aren't going to pay attention. The media cycle is quick now. So even if you get libertarians mentioned in a, you know, a local paper, a big paper in the area or a news company, or you get this news story ran, it's like, yeah, the reality is after a week, nobody knows that that happened again. And you're right back where you started. So those num- it's all about keeping and retaining some form of numbers. And that's I do hate that I, I do hate happening. that we I hate that we have to be concerned about finding the presidential candidate who's not going to win the president. Right. But there exactly. is a real there is a real danger though that if if we don't have somebody to kind of just be the t- the torchbearer like what right. listen, I'll be honest with you, everybody who knows me personally in, you know, once the normies start catching up to, like, election time, they're going to go, Dave, what does the Libertarian Party got going on? And if you, if you think I'm going to tell anybody to put my reputation on the line to tell somebody about Chase Oliver or Mike right, Termont, right. you're fucking crazy. So that it yeah. will be a totally blown opportunity if there isn't somebody that we can point to, even if it's Judge Knapp. You know, like, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I love that guy. He's got a great show, and he's got lots of wisdom. I wouldn't be pumped about that campaign. I, don't, I wouldn't I, I don't, be either, and I don't want to put that out there like I am. I, I it would be a he would be a difficult candidate in my opinion to put forward because he also has a lot of baggage. This is somebody who has some yep. media stuff that he got in trouble for, and some other stuff that's going to get all rehashed. So I don't think him yeah. as a candidate is ever really going to happen, frankly. But I think people have tossed his name around, and it's like, yeah, I, I think he's uh, certainly better than Chase Oliver, and a hell of a lot better than a cop. So put it that way. <laughs> you know, the other thing I worry about is we get into the situation where because we don't have a Dave Smith leading people to the convention, that we also lose everything that we fought for in Reno in the years before that. And I feel like we're already starting to slip down that slope a little bit with engagement within the Mekong community, not having that, that torchbearer leading the front. And, you know, it's going to wind up being one of these situations where, you know, we can all show up with, you know, T-shirts that say, you know, I went to Reno in 2020 and all I got was, you know, I don't know, Chase Oliver in 2024. You know what I mean? And that's it's really important. I'm going to be very blunt. Like, so it's not necessarily about running a presidential candidate um, and maybe the National Party, like, should, how much should they spend on that campaign, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Um, but what it does for our own base is it reinvigorates it, right? All yeah. the way up to Reno, that was a horrible, hard two years. And we left and we were on such a high. You know what I mean? If we had something else to pivot to and attack, we, at the end of the day, we're a fighting machine. You know, I don't, I don't care how people want to look at it. We, if we're that radical, tipped spear and we got to continually be sharpening ourselves we have to continually be at battle or you know in that sort of mentality you know if you get if you stay ready get ready so we the reason that we are losing energy and i'm going to just be really blunt and say that yes absolutely we are i know i feel it myself as being one of the more radical and active mecock affiliates right um that's the elephant in the room. Energy is taking a nosedive and it could have been. And the thing is, no, not three months ago, we should have been picking out a candidate. No, last year, as we were organizing for Reno, that's when you start planning for the next election cycle, right? You're at the tail end of that election cycle and you're planning for the next. That one's already, that's all she wrote, boys. You don't even have to do anything else, right? Turn and pivot to the next 
the next election and the next election that matters to your base is the presidential election. And we have lost steam because there was no pivot. And that's a massive mistake. And is it a, like a massive crack in our foundation now? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, time will tell. Well, I mean, I, I, I talked about uh, pretty quick after the Reno reset. Um, you know, I, I waited a little bit of time. And, um, you know, Alaska is not a Mises-controlled uh, affiliate. They're just not. And the likelihood of that happening is very low. Unfortunately, we just don't have uh, the the energy here and resources to really do that at this point. Um, and, and that's sort of disappointing to me. And what, what I was sort of hoping for after the reset was that some attention would be put to that and that would sort of be rectified. We just, you know, try to fix that problem. It became very apparent to me that that isn't the case, that, that, that we're sort of, you got to do it yourself. There's nobody, there's no resources or anybody sort of to help at all. Um, and the repercussions of that is that if I'm going with somebody in this state and I'm saying, hey, I want you to join this group called the Mises Caucus, we're going to attempt to take over the, libertarian party in alaska and build it into something that can be used for uh, good the reality is they're going to look at me and chuckle because they know that you're you're you know a you're taking over something that's not really doing anything anyway and your ability to take that thing over isn't really ever going to materialize because you have to have the numbers and that's very hard to get over here i think that um you know, for me, I, I I did talk about the fact that I've become a little less active in um, the caucus and just everything in general lately. But, but that's also because I, you know, I've gotten zero. I've gotten zero. There's been no reach out from anybody in any national positions. There's been no reach out from anybody high up in any political groups or action groups or anything. I've heard radio silence about my state. Um, now to keep that in mind, put that in perspective, I was the only, uh, organizer here for a very long time. See, even then I didn't hear nothing. So it's not like there's somebody else that's uh, getting the messages. And so you end up with this situation where I have to look at everything and go, you know, my core beliefs are that of sort of Alaskan nationalism. I look at Alaska as being, uh, different than every other state. And I think that it should have its independence. This is why I was a big supporter of the independence party back then. Uh, but I look at things now and I go, well, you can't really gain control of a party if the party doesn't do anything. And in the state's regards, it's like, well, if it's not doing anything, then why not work with somebody else or go somewhere else entirely? And so if you don't have basically these people who are in the public space, like, you know, your people in, New Hampshire, your people in high up in the Mises caucus and any of the caucuses really, or high up in the LP national, any of that stuff. If those people aren't communicating with people in Alaska, if they're not talking about Alaskan issues, um, one of my things I pointed out last week, you can go right now onto LP national's Twitter account, search the word Alaska and just see how many times they've talked about any story from the state of Alaska. They haven't. Um, and that's the reality. And so from my perspective, I have to look back and go, well, how much am I getting from putting resources of my own life into this? What am I getting in return for giving my time to this organization? What am I getting in return? The answer is I ain't getting shit for Alaska. So it's like I have to sort of take a step back and go, if I am sort of in this mindset of somebody like, uh, you know, again, I made a documentary about him, but somebody like Joe Vogler, 
Um, you know, he had a mindset of this is what I have to do. I'm going to do what needs to get done to get it done. And that just doesn't seem to exist in LP national. And a lot of the leadership positions I see, there doesn't seem to be a lot of drive to get those things done. It seems to be, well, we have to do it this way because that's just how it gets done. And I think that's a a big mistake that over the next two, three years, I think are going to show themselves as being why I think everybody here who's mentioned it is right. This, this is, we're sort of watching in real time as we, the party contracts and things contract and whatever's left on the shore after the water flows out is what's going to be there. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think right now it looks positive. At but least the in my that are in the party, they make up the party, right? So I'm my own little energy circuit and I got a lot of it, right? I got a lot of heart and I'm a fighter all day long. I'll throw hands or I'll, fight you with ideas. I don't care. Whatever. As long as we're fighting, I'm down. So, you know, the people in the party are who make up the action in the party, right? So if you have a lot of inactive people who are unmotivatable, yeah, that's a lot of dead weight. Colorado didn't become so radical. It didn't just fall out of the sky. And I was just, they like handed it to me and they're like, here you go, cute little girl, you know, with your cute little voice, you just go on ahead and be crazy. Um, <laughs> no, I'm crazy. And so I don't take no for an answer. And I've built a strong team around me. I don't know how we were able to build it except for, you know, Funkhauser, a especially I could credit, um, may he rest in peace. Um, he's alive. No, (laughs) I mean, no, he's not alive. Sorry. Bonkhauser is dead. Mark Cavan is alive. So, you know, we had him and he fought the national Meacock board for us and our right to exist. Then I stepped up behind him and I fought the the party for our right to exist. Like you have to be willing to fight right? This is not a passive thing. We are in a complete war politically, right? And if we're just going to sit around and go, oh, well, we're losers. So let's just continue. Like, I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that mentality. I don't buy into the lies of determinism. I know I defy my statistics every single day I wake up. The fact I'm alive defies my statistics, right? And anything I do from there only lifts me up higher. Um, So like we as People, as individuals in this party, we have united under this ideology, right? That is the Mises Caucus. And so we've all decided to give a shit enough about each other to fight for each other. And you know what? If I had known that Alaska wasn't getting any attention at all and you were being treated like a bastard child, you know that I would have, like, gone to the dirt for you? Like, now that I know, do you know what I'm going to say and do for you? Like... To try and fight to get you the Here's the thing from, from from my perspective, though, and, and this is sort of the issue, is I, you have to understand, I've had conversations with just about everybody there is to have conversations with from a caucus perspective, from a party perspective. Um, I spent six months showing up to every event that was there. I flew out probably, I mean, we're talking dozens of times out of here from, from Alaska to go to events. And all I got from it were promises, people telling me things are going to happen, um, movements that would be happening, things that would take place. None of that ever came to be. Um, it's been very, it's been a struggle because it's one of those things where I believe in the political ideology. I believe in, the politics of this, I've read all the books. I grew up in a cabin for 16 years reading these books. Uh, so it, it is, 
something I know can work. The problem is, is that I often see a, a tendency to assign sort of positions to places and leave them there from a national perspective. So Alaska doesn't have your value that the party can get, right? And what this means is is what national does, right? They have to look at a state and go, okay, how many delegates does that state have, right? Alaska has virtually none. We're talking one or two. So it's, it's, it's just not valuable in that context. So then they go, uh, this is the problem, though. This the second equation that should be being put to that, uh, to those places are how easy would it be to affect change in these areas? And that question just doesn't seem to be happening at all. It seems to be a question of what can we get out from helping these states? If we can't get anything out of helping these states, then forget it, move on to the next one. And I get the tendency to do that. The problem is, is it creates a lot of resentment from the people that you've built up in those states. So it's not just Alaska I'm talking about. It's, it's, I know a lot of people from a lot of states uh, in the caucus and party who've just sort of stagnated because they're going, why would I help this group or that group if they're not going to help me? Uh, and so that becomes sort of, I think, why we have seen this drop off that we're viewing. I don't think it has anything to do with candidates. I, I really don't think that's anything to do with it. I think it has 100% to do with communication behind the scenes, how people are approaching sort of after the takeover, how everything went after that point. And I think it's been rough for sure. I think so. I'm in region one, right? So we have regional groups, right? And like the idea is that states are going to band together for different reasons to like help each other out. So region one, we have a regional agreement that states are going to perform at X amount of level. We're going to do all of these types of things. And now we're really implementing them. Um, so, you know, Alaska is small. Guess what? So is Nebraska. Nebraska is not very big. I politic with those fools all day long. I take them, I take those guys under my wing and I make them, you know, like, here's the thing. This is, I think, something that many people in the caucus need to like think about or contemplate. So when we have state affiliates who have MECOC members, right, providing a network of support for our smaller states and our smaller represented people, like just looking out for this little guy, you know what I mean? Like, we should be doing that. There is absolutely no reason. I mean, I understand why National isn't paying attention to Alaska, but I just think it's bullshit, right? And also, well, I mean, it's it, it goes back no to no for an answer, and I don't take no for an answer. If I don't like what you got to say, I'm going to continually go up. I'm going to replace you, and if if I'm the person at the top and I'm still like hearing no, I'm not. Because I'm at the top and we're going to do what I say that we're going to do. So, but that's the fighter in me. And I realize not everybody has that, like, you know, stubbornness, like digging your heels in. Like, no, you're going to tell me yes. No, you're going to take me damn seriously. Like, you know, so you shouldn't take no for an answer. I totally get why you do. Um, and I'm pissed off for you. Yeah, I'm looking for the tweet that I made, but I, I have a tweet going over some of this stuff back uh, about a month and a half ago where I, I referenced, uh, and I referenced earlier, where I was talking about the, you know, the history of some of so, sort of this stuff. And I think that a lot of people in the national position have just don't care about that, maybe. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I cared a lot about when I, you know, was joining up to things um, was 
you know, where did the Alaska Libertarian Party get its start? How did this sort of start getting movement in the state? Um, you know, to, I'm very knowledgeable on the AIP, so I know more about that party in general. But the the Alaskan Independence Party was founded in the you know seventy three to seventy four. Um, was created by Vogler uh, to 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 ask for secession for, from a le- he was making a legal argument for secession. It was all this stuff, but um, you know the party, the Alaska Libertarian Party, is founded in 1974. So just a year after the AIP. And um, the history books are sort of weird on it. Um, Vogler claimed that he was the co-founder of the Libertarian Party over here. I know that's a contentious thing. I've spoken to a lot of people who are alive and a member of the party back then. And I do believe that Vogler was one of the co-founders of that party. Um, Personally, haven't spoken to enough of the people. But, uh, you know, from a historical standpoint, I look back at the 70s, I look back at the 80s of the party, how the party was being ran and what it did, and I see well, the state that was getting arguably the most attention, that was getting the most resources poured into it was Alaska, because they had officials that were actually winning office. You had guy, you know, you had uh, actual representatives that were getting elected. The first uh first official like libertarian elected to office was in this state. And I think that that's something where I look at and I go, okay, let me look at other states. And so I've looked at places like the Libertarian Party of Texas, Libertarian Party of Arizona, places like that, that also have histories that are very similar to Alaska, where they actually were fairly successful in the 70s and 80s, and then it just sort of all crashed down. And there has to be a reason for that. And I know Hector re, uh, mentioned in the chat, well, the duopoly sort of switched the way things were done in the 80s and 90s. That's true to an extent, but the reality is ballot access has never been a problem in Alaska. Um, there's always been ballot access here for anybody who wants it. Uh, and the Libertarian Party's consistently gotten a decent percentage of votes. So from, a, from my perspective, coming into it like, you know, political science and all that kind of stuff. It's like, this just doesn't make strategic sense to me. It doesn't make strategic sense to leave this asset on the table and put focus into a state that you have no ability to do anything in. You know, you'll, I've seen, uh, you know, resources put into states where it's like, this is just a show. Like you, you can't actually do anything here. You're basically just doing this for clout. And that seems exceedingly stupid when you have limited resources. Uh, so it, I, I, I get frustrated with it, and I think it's something that important people talk about. But I do think that's why we've seen this burnout is I, I, I exactly you, why man. I was burnt out. Yeah. I, I get the frustration with the party and 50 years of it. And, you know, I don't know what Angela and these other 10 people can do within one year. Like, I don't know what to expect of them. Right. But I think it's kind of the beauty of the caucus is to kind of like, okay – Put all this stuff over here, all this ballot access woes, all of the winning elections woes over here. And if you just think about what the caucus can do as a, as a liberty lobby, as w- what you can do to just like get in the community, you can mix it up. You don't have to even fuck with Robert's rules. You know what I mean? Just mix it up with the, 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 uh, the right over here on gun stuff and mix it up with the left over here on, you know, weed decrim or, you know, criminal justice reform. Just that's the kind of stuff. That's where the real power is. PQ is right when he says, you know, why are you wasting your time at the ballot box when you could be lobbying on behalf of liberty? That's kind of what the beauty of the Mises Caucus should be doing because you can do whatever you want. Look at Colorado. They got the reins of power and now they can do whatever they want and they're thinking outside of the box. So I'm I'm with you, dude. Like, you know, 
more attention. Hey, we want more attention over here, but I'm not here to like let her, let her vote. You'll never hear me saying that because I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm not, let well, her I mean, vote. Yeah. yeah. My, no, no, my, no. if, if, if I had a perfect world, um, you know, over here in my state, the way that I would say for things to roll out would be that the Libertarian Party, and this is going to piss off a lot of people who haven't heard me talk about this in Alaska, but uh, my end goal would be for the Libertarian Party and the Alaskan Independence Party locally to sort of marry in a sense. Um, for the older um, class of people who were with the Independence Party throughout the 70s, the 80s, uh, and a, a deal of the 90s to sort of become part of what the libertarian movement is doing in Alaska and vice versa. And I think that that's something that hasn't really been tried in other states because you sort of have this hesitation between third parties to work together because they're eating up these small percentages as is, right? It's, it's sort of difficult for, say, the Green Party and the Libertarian Party to work together sufficiently because they're sort of eating from the same pool, in a sense. Uh, and so there's always this sort of hesitancy. Whereas with the AIP, I mean, you can go through sort of their bylaws and what they believe, and it, it's not super far off from what the Libertarian Party is already advocating for. And so I think that's something, you know, I, I think it could change uh, over the next, especially like six months. I, I had the, the vice president of their party reach out to me sort of to, to invite me out to the convention and stuff to talk about some of that stuff. But I think that, um, you know, I, I've looked at other states and gone, well, there's all these other small third parties. I'm not talking about like Green Party stuff, but there's tons of like, random independence parties and random like parties that back in the day had a lot of support. Um, so I think that's something I'm, I'm looking into in general, just rebranding some of those older parties because a lot of them have databases of members. Yeah. Uh, the get AIP those had, lists, man. Consolidate those parties, get them. Over yeah. Well, that. in Alaska, it's weird. You, you have a, there's like the most valuable asset in this state is mailing lists. And I don't mean email yeah. lists. I mean, literal old school, uh, mailbox mailing lists because most people, if you're living rurally here, you don't really have internet and phones and like this whole like <laughs> you can send an email, it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> uh, so, Guys, um, we're we're coming up on three hours here, so um, I'll take any presidential endorsements or any you know things you want to throw out on that end, and then after that. We'll we'll do some we'll do some goodbyes. What do you think yeah. about that? So yeah, I think that'll work. I just want to give a quick thought. If the libertarian, if the Mises Caucus is not going to put forth Dave Smith, which is probably likely that we won't get Dave Smith, we need to pull somebody that can pull a lot of media attention and at least draw some eyes to the party. That's it. The, their goal great, is man. not going to be to 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 win the presidency. But get to get eyes on the party. Not that's, only that's that, but I think we can't tolerate a guy who lies to us and says, yeah. I can win. Right. Don't tolerate that bullshit. We're fucking yep. past that. If the, yep. if the Mises Caucus couldn't do that, couldn't change that last lie that libertarians tolerate, I don't know, man. Then yep. we're, it's embarrassing. I agree. But we have to do it ASAP. Whatever it I'm is that you. we do, we have to do it ASAP because we can't keep sitting idly by while – you know, we got candidates that aren't. I mean, I met Mike Termod, and he's not a nice guy, but that's the extent of what I know that's about him. That's the thing. Him, right? We like, can't do like the old guard did, too, where right. you just hang out with yep. nice guys and, oh, well, they're nice guys. So, no, 
I'm not here. Like, I love the fact that I get to make, you know, new social circles and stuff, but that's all secondary, man, to the mission. Right. I know you guys are on the same page. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, Hannah, why don't you tell us where we can find Libertarian Col- Party of Colorado and how to support you guys and everything else that's going on? So we definitely need a lot of support. I need more volunteers, people who are willing to get out there, grind and shine, um, and get out in the trenches and meet your local people and run for local office and things like that. Another big need we have, obviously, every party needs is more money, right? Money, not blood, greases the wheels of politics. Mm. So if you love my strategy and what we have going on here, and you're super excited for what we're going to achieve for Liberty, please drop me a donation. If you want to just check out what Colorado LP has to offer, um, all of these things can be found on our website. So that's lpcolorado.org. If you have some feedback for me as the chairman, if you want to tell me I'm dumb or you want to say I'm great, you can go ahead and write me an email at statechair at lpcolorado.org. So visit lpcolorado.org and check us out. Thank you, Hannah. And uh, Justin, what's up? What can we do to help uh, those of you guys in New York who are suffering? <laughs> uh, if you are interested in believe that running local candidates and starting from the bottom up with issue coalitions and everything else – is the way that the party should move forward. I would say to come uh, help us out at lpmy.org, or if you want to throw us a few dollars, uh, lpmy.org slash donate. Um, I know Craig, who had to drop off, um, you know, also help him out. Uh, go to facebook.com slash vote Callwell, V-O-T-E-C-O-L-W-E-L-L. Uh I'm, my door is always open for anybody that wants to to reach out to me. Um, Facebook, Twitter, you know, wherever you do, you can email me at jcarmen at lpmy.org. Thanks, guys. Nice. Thank you, brother. Uh, Leighton, all the way out there? No ah, bro. Tell us about the so, podcast and uh, yeah, how to help you out. So outlawedthoughts.com will take you to the YouTube channel or you can just search it on YouTube. That's my show, uh, which I'll have an episode tomorrow. I haven't announced this on Twitter yet. I will be uh, interviewing Shane Cashman, uh, the writer awesome. from uh, uh, TimCast.com uh, and stuff. And then um, there's a documentary I made, which is probably the thing I want everybody to do the most, which is um, go on YouTube, search uh, the name Joe Vogler, or search Joe, uh, the life and assassination of Joe Vogler and watch that. It's about 45 minutes. It's about the life of uh, the guy who I'm currently writing the most about. <laughs> nice, man. Uh, definitely appreciate your insight, brother, and thanks for being here. And uh, Alicio, any uh, parting words, brother? Yeah, so just a really quick shout out to all of our elected officials and everyone who's running. Uh, King Aaron Lamb, shout out to him. He's a great guy. Uh, Forrest Mommy, obviously. Jessica Fenske, she's fantastic. Um, Merle Hendrickson is also running for uh, city council. Um, if you guys want to talk to me, criticize me, talk about how terrible I am at jokes, uh, feel free to email me at uh, vicechair at lpcolorado.org. Vice chair at lpcolorado.org. I'm not really on Twitter or on, on any of the social medias, um, but if you see a picture of like um, a Mexican guy with his kids, that's probably me. So uh, just keep an eye out for Cheddar Bob, is what I go by on social medias. 
appreciate you, man. I, I like the Colorado vibe. It's very confident and, uh, you know, positive. I feel like that is something to, you know, forget the plan. Just replicate the vibe, if you can, around in your state. Um, that's definitely something to do. And uh, lastly, Tyler, tell everybody about I like how, how he said uh, the, guy, the Mexican guy with kids. Um, Tyler Yonke on Twitter, uh, Libertarian Podcast Review. Look, if you want to kind of help this Mises caucus thing, I think the first thing is to, like a lot of states are doing, elect good, and Colorado was a good example here. We did it in California with Adrian, electing good state officials and then kind of branch out from there. Um, I have problems with the Mises caucus itself and some of the, the, the things that we've done out there, which... Uh, we didn't get into tonight. I was a little more silent. I just like to enjoy kind of listening to this, the things. Uh, but for the most part, you know, liberty is a big deal for me. I do family law and I spend all day kind of helping uh, parents save their kids from this rabid state that we have. And I know California, it's easy to pick on. This is kind of one of my things. It's easy to pick on California for some bad things that we're out there in the news doing, but look at your own state. A lot of times I see these, uh, complaints and I look them up and I look at your states and you're worse or you're just as bad. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, and it would have been an interesting little topic to talk to with the New York people of how they deal with some of the hate that you get. Um, is it always warranted? In California, for the most part, it is. But, um, you know, find your liberty connections and it does help you out. Thanks, Dave, for having us, by the way. Oh, man, it was a blast. I was a little worried, you know, nine people, but it was um, pretty orderly. And yeah, I, I loved it, man. And this is what we need to do. We just need to talk more, to talk out the stuff. Um, like you guys said, some of the stuff maybe we should have done with more people three, four, five, six months ago. And then maybe we wouldn't be in a pickle. But, um, nah, man, always talk it out. And uh, the Mighty Mises Caucus, man, listen, I, I'm, I'm still a believer. Um, Mike Heiss is a magical, visionary human being. I've known that guy for a long time. I was at his wedding. I sat at the table with Alex, actually, who was here earlier. And um, that, that, that kid is a real deal. So you know that the seed was set right. I can, I can tell you that. I, can, I will vouch for him. Um, and Tyler, you're right, man. Not everything has been, uh, you know perfectly executed um and we and we make some fuck-ups but uh you know this is the ron paul wing of the libertarian party so if you're not down with that something's fucking wrong with you you know what i'm saying not yeah. not us so that's basically where i'm at um but i really do appreciate you guys and uh yeah we will do this again soon all right peace now that the smoke's gone. Yeah.